Hello and welcome to another episode of Grange TV. We have Tim Wharton here with us and TAFE extraordinaire David Roberts. Thank you. Tim, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, sure. I, um, that's, a, actually, that's a big question. I uh, work for Department of Juvenile Justice, um, but also have my own private practice and I predominantly work with uh, young people and young adults who sexually offend so the perpetrators. Um, we'll get to the, the more of a definition of what that is in a second. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit about your academic background and what you do just to give the viewers a little bit of an idea of, um, well, I guess, the credibility oh, yeah. that you have? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I'm not just making it up. Yeah. Um, so I graduated a health sciences degree in 2004 um, in rehabilitation counselling. Then I did some study with New South Wales Institute of Psychiatry, um, which I take to leave that. Um, what did I do next? Then I did a Masters of Social Work. Um, uh, then I did, uh, oh gosh, I'm a PhD candidate now in Social Work and Criminology. I was on a, a Specialist Certificate uh, Masters in Criminology in Sex Offender Management. Um, and I think that's all. So okay. I was kind of studying being non-stop since about 2000. Okay, is that good enough for us to continue, Dave? I think you meet the basic requirements. Okay, right, okay, all right. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't see any Cert 3s or anything. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't see any TAFE endorsed qualifications there. <laughs> all right, we'll have to move forward. Um, can, you, can you explain to us, so now we're talking about um, the nature of your job. You said sex offenders. Uh, can you explain what that means exactly? Like, Because, I mean, that's such a broad term as well. Yeah, it is. Um, and I guess generally people can think about it two different ways. One is people that are adjudicated or people that have been caught uh, and been put before the court um, of law because of something they've done to something else, some sort of some, someone else, some sort of harm they've caused. Or um, some people think about it in terms of harm they haven't caused but they've still got those sorts of attractions, um, which is an area of my, um, I guess, an area of my professional development that I'm really quite becoming more and more passionate about. Um, is those, are those uh, people who, who aren't offending. They've figured out a way or um, they're not undetected, but they've, they've got significant desires to offend um, against children uh, in particular. What's a child when we're talking about a child? Because, again, this is something that people, I think, yeah. is a grey area. So yeah. when we're talking about offending against a child... So uh, um, an, adoles uh, 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 an adolescent is defined as someone from 16 to 18, um, a young person is from, oh gosh, I should know this, from 12 to 16, and under that is a child. Okay. Um, but it is a grey area, and you know, you move jurisdictions, and that those definitions will change. But when I when I think child, for treatment purposes, I think someone that's prepubescent, so someone that doesn't resemble an adult. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, We'll come back, obviously, the purpose of this discussion, I guess. I've known Tim for, for a long, long time, I don't know, maybe 15 years, and uh, we both you grapple, both did jiu-jitsu and wrestling, mm. and, uh, but one of the things I find really, really good when i discussing stuff with Tim, I, I went on and did coaching, and, uh, you know, coaching, I've coached some pretty high-level guys, and we'll just use Rob as an example at this point, um, and a lot of times I, I discuss things with Tim in obviously not nothing to do with sex offending, but more, <laughs> more, more to do with, uh, you know, cognitive brain function and, mm. and how uh, 
how, how things are, are placed in, in the brain and uh, helps. I think it helps me with my teaching and with my coaching and mm. a couple of things that have been stuck real, real well with me and that I've used a lot. Because a lot of times people say to me, like, what, uh, you know, does Rob have a sports psychologist? Do your guys mm. have a sports psychologist? Does, and my, my answer to that is no, we mm. don't go mm. to one in particular. But I do have people like Tim and that that I that I speak with and that we're able to put things together and that are very specific for our guys. Mm. But yeah, one of the things that, that always stuck with me and that I used over and over and over again with the with the guys that I coach is um, the thing you, when we spoke about internal rules mm. and you were yes. speaking to me about internal rules in specifically about the sex offending. Mm. But then we sort of segued off into more specifically athlete development and whatnot. Yeah. Can you... Even from your area of expertise, and I mean, then we can ju- jump in from from a teaching perspective, coaching perspective. Can you t- explain to us yeah, a little bit about internal rules, how they come about? Sure, sure. So that, it's a it's a, a principle that comes out of, um, or contemporarily, it comes out of the cognitive behavioural therapy, um, and or CBT for short. Um, and CBT rests on the premise that your behaviour, what you do, is influenced by your feelings, your emotions, and your feelings or emotions are influenced by what you think. What you think is influenced by what you believe. Stupid example, right? I like to drink short blacks when I go to a cafe. And I drink short blacks because I believe they taste good and they make me look trendy. That is my internal rule. So because of that, I will have thoughts about wanting to order a short black. And when I order it, I will feel good because people are looking at me and think I'm trendy. Now, that might not be true, but that's what I believe. And so the behavior is I go out and buy a short black and drink it. Now, that same principle can be applied to anything that you do, any action that you take. Um, so, if, you know, and I haven't, I haven't worked, um, I mean, I've worked for a long time with violent offenders as well, um, with adolescent violent offenders specifically, who are statistically their most violent group. Um, from about 16 to 18 Um, and a common internal rule that drives the thoughts which drives the emotion which drives the behavior are things like um, he deserved it or um, you know I can't or what's what's my language you go hard (laughs) hard, say whatever you want (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) there's no big language warnings you know um, um, if I don't hit him I'm a little bitch Right, so so there's this internal rule. They they walk around with this belief system that says if I don't if I back down from a fight, then I lose all social respect. I'm you know I'm I'm not worth anything. So that makes me think when someone looks at me wrong, that makes me think I've got to hit him first. That makes me feel angry, or scared, or something in between. And the behaviour is common assault, or worse. Um, Mm. I have a question. Mm. You know, you say that's very common with internal rules. He deserved it. Yes. He looked at me yes. wrong. He deserved it. Yes. That's that's very common, and I think um, it's quite prevalent in a lot. I mean, a lot of young men. Yep. You know, um, but in case of sexual offending, mm. when talking about the victim, mm. how prevalent is it that the victim thinks I deserved it, especially if they've been uh, subject to? Oh, wait, 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 the, 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 you mean? 
the so internal rules for the victim. The internal rules of the victim. Mm. So I deserved it. I was out late. I shouldn't have been out late. I shouldn't have put myself in that position. Mm. Um, if somebody, because I know you work with the offender. Perpetrators, yeah. Yeah, mm. but um, is that very common as well, to have the internal rules that are self-destructive? Um, you know, I, I, couldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to give you an expert opinion, um, but I would, I would say that that would be more... Um, so internal rules can often serve to protect you emotionally. So if you say things like, I deserved it, or I was out late, it was my fault, that might act as a, an emotional protector. Can if, you elaborate on that? Yep, sure. So if you say um, something like, um, um, it, was, it was his fault, or you know, um, if you say something as simple as it was his fault, that might mean I'm, I've now got to go relive it, I've got to take action, I've got to go to the police. Whereas saying, it was my fault, that, that might, uh, you know, that, that can lead you down a different behavioural path that can lead you down a place where you can just put it to bed. You don't ever put it to bed that, that, that the harm is quite long-standing. You need to do stuff to fix that. Um, but do you know what I mean about it being a, a, a protective... Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's not healthy. <laughs> you know, but no, 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 yeah. of course. Yeah. Of course. Um, the thing that always stuck with me was like, uh, I guess like, I, I always had to use it in, in, in a different format when you took, when you spoke to me about internal rules, but mm. I, I realised like with sometimes you're dealing with an athlete and the, the, the way that they would come about something, they, um, and I, I might have misinterpreted what you said, but mm. I had good results from it. <laughs> yeah. But um, with me, it was like, I, I felt that like their, their internal rules, you know, was something yes. like, um, I don't deserve to win. Yes. I don't deserve to be top 20, so yep. then I don't have to train that hard. That's right. Then I don't have to do that many sessions. Yep. I don't, because I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Like, yep. I'm, this is not, I don't belong with those guys. That's those right. guys are much better than me. Yep. And I, I guess through conversations with you and then like little bits of things were seeping into me, I started to understand that. And then speaking to you about that cognitive behavioral therapy and, mm. and understanding how, how to start changing those internal rules and putting, uh, processes in place to to address that to go all right yeah. well um maybe you don't deserve okay maybe you deserve to win this new south wales brazilian jiu-jitsu title yes at blue belt yeah sure this is this is very doable for yeah. you yes you know and then you know start moving forward and putting those processes in place yeah, sure so i guess uh, obviously, you say you work with not say you do work with the perpetrators. Yes, and I don't work with any of them. Mm. But uh, most of the time, when I'm dealing with my with with athletes and that, I guess they they probably take the role of like I don't know if the victim would be the term, but they definitely don't take the role of the aggressor. Funnily enough, yeah, sure. It's usually I don't like I don't deserve to to you know what I mean. Like yeah. same, same as students in in class. Um, yeah. Do you have anything? Well, to add? Yeah. I was interested when you said about the belief it yes. becomes a belief because beliefs are powerful because beliefs actually change that whole thing so right. when you talk about fighters being I'm not worthy when you, and you see someone like Conor McGregor or something like that who believes they're a champion mm. and that manifests its reality mm. and and a lot of people like Will Smith and all them talk about that so it'd be interesting to get your, both of yours point of view on what's that belief and how does that belief drive that action yeah sure I think there's, there's well, it's a, probably a, a good time to make a, a distinction between a belief and an ideology. One thing I do with students, so I teach at uni as well. One thing I do with... Um, oh, can you just talk about where you teach, which uni is you teach oh, yeah, at? Because so you left that out. I'll, I did I'll, I'll, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, so I teach at um, University of Sydney and University of Western Sydney. 
um, and it's predominantly counselling skills, uh, um, uh, mental health. And no, the, the, those are two areas that I that I um, focus on in, in teaching. Um, so the skills-based stuff, that the, the how you say what you're saying, um, particularly because you can be the best cognitive behavioural therapist, but if you're a, a bit of a dick, then <laughs> it's going to be a, a yeah. Very it's going to be lost in translation. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you need some certain skills. Um, but but one thing I talk about with the um, uh, with students is making a distinction between your belief and your ideology. So I've got a, I've got a room full of social work students, third second third year social work students, very ideolo- ideologically driven, um, generally a leftist sort of persuasion. Um, and I ask the question: uh, Do you believe people are generally good or generally bad? It's a very sort of paradigmatic sort of question that forces them into a specific answer. But generally, you get about ninety percent of the class putting their hand up and say people are generally good. Cool, that's that's their ideology. So, say what happens when you're at a set of lights in your car and you're waiting around, and a, a, a forty-five-year-old guy comes up right with his face up against the window, and knocks on the knocks on the window, and and with his head right up against it. What do you do? And they generally say, lock the door, make sure the windows wound up. But your ideology says people are generally good. So what's the fear about? Do you know what I mean? So they have an ideology that says people are generally good. They have a belief that says people are potentially dangerous and I need to look out for myself. Um, So you can have, and they they call that cognitive dissonance, where you essentially hold two different beliefs. Oftentimes those beliefs that don't influence the behaviour are ideological. It's what you want to believe. I want to believe that equality should, you know, economic equality should be a global standard. But I, oh, I can't really part with my disposable income because I need shoes, you yeah. know. Um, so that can happen too. And that can happen with offenders big time, hugely, you know. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, sure. Class, classic one um, with, with violent offenders, um, particularly late, late adolescent violent offenders. They all love their mum. They'll say they love their mum. And you'll, you'll have the discussion, and they are very easily able to to, to uh, articulate that hurting other people hurts their mum, right? So, by that logic, going out into a party and being faced by someone uh, that, that's sort of bridging up and, and wants to fight, you can't fight them because you don't want to hurt your mum because you love your mum. But they still do because if they don't, they're a little bitch. So they've got these two opposing beliefs um, that that are at war with each other. Uh, and generally speaking, for offenders, the little bitches that, that, that gets overridden by um, impulse control, um, and that that's a problem. It's a it's a it's, it makes life difficult for them. Um, so you have to mask it and deal with it with a whole range of. So in in speci- uh, answer in answer to your question specifically, what was a like? I was interested in your perspective around how does that belief, say for Rob, for example. He has to believe in that to make that mm. a, a reality to go and do that training and, th- and not have that conflict. How, how d- I was interested to see what those two combinations from an athlete point of view mm. versus uh, an offender. Like mm. there's a belief that has to be there. We all believe in something. Mm. But what's that belief that turns you into a positive champion mm. or a... A psychopath? <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Specifically, say with someone like Rob, and it's not just Rob, it's not limited to Rob, we've got other guys that yeah, you're going to hear about yeah. in the future very, very definitely. soon. Um, I can't speak on any other fighter or any other camp because I think what we deem as success as well, that's, that's 
relatively subjective. That's a belief too, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, so um, I I can't speak, but I can only speak on Rob. So the first, the first thing, and I don't know how much I butcher your theories that you've explained (laughs) to me, right? So, but they've definitely helped. You know what I mean? (laughs) So whether it was a placebo or not, (laughs) now I'm going to say stuff, and Tim's going to go, "What the fuck are you talking about?" (laughs) That's not what I said. (laughs) But. a lot of the stuff like with Rob it's like I mean you can sit there and talk about like um, you know I want you to believe this and that, that was never the case because um, I guess the first things when we've spoken about stuff about internal rules and that and I understand like with goal setting with athletes and what we have to do so when, when we first got him in he he, he, um, he was he was very good as a fighter he was very very good he, he knew what to do in the in the octagon like he has that now he he was very well coached coming into it he he had very good coaches he was at pma for years and years and years did karate throughout his formative years he spent time internationally at tristar and other places he was very well coached i take very little credit for you know what happened thereafter Mm. so he was already he was already thinking but when he when we started working together i just saw that the things that were missing were not the fight stuff like you put him in a, you put him in a, like if you pick a fight with him, you're going to be in a fight. You know what I mean? Like even if you jump on him while he's asleep. <laughs> so that, that was never the issue. The issue then became like when we started talking and we started dealing with stuff like what you were t- when you told me about the internal rules. Mm. And I think you told me, we, t- we spoke about internal rules like years and years and yeah. years before. Like I never even knew Rob mm. back then. Mm-hmm. But it just screamed out at me when I was mm. talking to him mm-hmm. in, in that it like, and then I could I could tell like you know stuff from when from growing up and everything where he there was there was a, this gap like a skills gap like we have at TAFE you know that we deal with and and you could see it very clearly that that there were things that he didn't think were it, 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 he didn't not think he could beat these guys in a fight he mm. he knew he could beat anyone mm. and that was just him like the same way that when you look at something that you know you're pretty good at you go. I can do that. I can do that. Yeah. He, he knew that he could knock people out, you know. But what he didn't think he could do, I don't think, was the work. And there was no real point doing the work because I don't think he thought there was any real difference. He never really saw himself as the champion per se, you know. And then when we started dealing with the internal rules mm. and understanding the barricades that he had put in place for that, and then when one then I, I don't know if this would be some form of butchered cognitive behavioural therapy <laughs> you know we'll have a look we'll have a look um, <laughs> Tim's going to get on <laughs> shut up you idiot you're a fool um, it was it was like stuff like but with Rob was stuff like going to training right yep and say so for example oh, I can't I, and he'd try and get out of training mm. and then you'd go well you still got to go there mm. and then that became a thing where like well what if I broke my leg and I'm pretty sure like he was like on top of a building ready to jump and go break my leg I won't have to go and then I'd go well you still have to come in yeah and then you know drag himself here and then I'll fuck well I may as well train and then he'd train yes and then that became a thing well then you have to make those sessions you know but then it happens like this all these little things happen and this is we're talking five years ago and the the change was massive and then he he won a fight that he shouldn't have like people thought he wouldn't win and then Mm. he won another one Mm. But now the now the sessions were like, you know, we added a couple more sessions, we added a couple more things, 
and then it just started a snowball mm-hmm. until now he, he he gets it we still have to go back and address it and that's why I think like a lot of times like with therapy stuff like as serious as what we're talking about mm. whether you're a victim of sexual abuse mm. or violent abuse or vice versa mm. like that's shit's not going to change. Like you, you have to address it, and you mm. have to address it thoroughly. And you probably, even if you don't go to therapy per se all the time, you're mm. still going to have to address it up here. Yes. Um, whichever I don't, I don't know whichever way you do it. But with him, we're always having to go back and go. Well, we're setting these goals, and these are the things that we have to do to achieve mm. those goals. And the belief comes off the back of the training that he's doing. Yep. And the and not the training for Rob because when he gets here, he trains. It's the other small things that that you have to tick off that, that make you make you a champion. Yeah. And then we have a saying, like we always say, like which I borrowed off uh, a guy named. Uh, oh, please hope he doesn't bash me. Um, <laughs> Mike Passanier, and he's like a, a, a dude from uh, a Dutch guy, a Dutch kickboxing guy, Dutch kickboxing coach, and he always says like a champion's a champion even when he's brushing his teeth. Yeah, and sure. we say the same thing, mm. you know, and um, it's it's hundred percent true. So you got to always be doing those things. Mm. You got to always be. Then the uh, the the if you read the book Legacy, which in, the, in that book Legacy, the All Blacks talk about like champions do extra, mm-hmm. and that's what, like I read it. Rob didn't read it, but I read it, passed it on to him. Still didn't read it. <laughs> um, and the thing is that they're saying that the one of the mantras is champions do extra. Yeah. So then I'm always saying to him, well, this is what we did. And he's got to hand in, like an, like an assignment, he's got to hand in a spreadsheet of his training every week and yeah, then sure. we go over yeah. it. Then I'm like, well, what can we Add do? Mm. What's the extras, mm. you know? Where's the line? Mm. And I think in that book, like he's, when Rob, Rob being Rob goes, well, um, where's the line then, Fab? Where do champions do extra? And I said, well, let's draw the line. And then I found in one of these things, one of the All Blacks, got his testicles ripped open in a, <laughs> is that the lie in, in a match <laughs> and they sewed him back up and I don't know if he played or not but I'm going with that He's, Rob's not going to watch this <laughs> so I'm pretty sure he didn't play or maybe he did play but I said he he it's on him he should have read the book you know what I mean like, and um, I said he um, got his testicles split open and they sewed him up and I, I threw in with no anesthetics. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Who knows? I should have read it. And um, I go, that's the line. That's the line. I go, you don't have to fight or train if your testicles are split open. And there I, it is. And it's there funny. It's all funny, but it's all part of like, do you get what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. champions do extra. You're a champion even when you're brushing your teeth. And you're a champion. If you do all those things, you're a champion irrespective of the result. Because, I mean, you only have to bob when you should have weaved and you're mm. going to you're going to get clipped that yep. doesn't the result doesn't mean anything it's what you're going to do thereafter and then I don't think you can separate after that the internal rules of what you believe is success mm-hmm. whatever that is mm. whatever you believe is success whatever you believe you have to do to achieve success mm. that's in the octagon in business in wherever mm-hmm. so as long as you and, I, and I've really started to understand that as well as long as you do the right as long as you do the right work don't surround yourself with shit people yeah. do the right work work hard Mm. Like new good people are going to come to you, and you're going to move forward. That's right. Yeah, yep. that's that's yeah. so that's my answer yep. in short to to the stuff with. That was in short. Yeah, was <laughs> mate. I could go on. This is my podcast. Sorry, don't, sorry, don't come here. Me. I can do whatever I want. You can go set up your own podcast, mate, and talk for hours. I can do this. this is my forum. I'm, <laughs> I'm loving it. That's fine. So that's my answer, Dave. 
So the team comes here and ridicules me. <laughs> um, yeah, did you have anything to, for Tim? <laughs> I think Tim answered my question in two seconds. Mate, I'm not an academic man. I'm not an academic. I'm a coach and a teacher, barely a teacher. And they, everyone's just making, taking the piss out of me. Unbelievable. Um, uh, we still love you, I think. Yeah. <laughs> did you... It, it's it's such a fine line too so like I'm still not I'm still struggling with the belief mm. driving an action mm. like because like we see it um, you know if we use religion and war and that stuff where people honestly believe they're mm. fighting and that gives them the courage to go literally kill someone mm. so, so those internal sort of conflicts that someone's having in their heads are they really changeable if you've been entrenched with that ideology for your whole mm. life? So if I've been in DV my whole life and I work with Aboriginal young kids and I see a lot of this stuff mm. and sometimes I look at it as like, am I ever really, really going to change your core belief mm. to like make DV, this you mean domestic flick? violence? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, um, I, I, if, if I... Sorry, Tim, can yeah. you, one thing. Can you... Um, if, well, we spoke before about the difference, if any, between... Uh, violence and sex offences. Like you said about the, the oh, conscience. So, yeah, so, 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 so mm, we kind of bring it all under the one umbrella. One, one, um, well, I mean, I have, I've worked a lot, with, and I still do work with a lot of violent offenders, but um, it's been said that, uh, and, and I, I tend to agree with it for the most part, that the only difference between sexual and violent offending is the choice of weapon. Um, so it's often used to inflict harm, um, to gain power, yeah. um, dominance, that sort of thing. So is a punch. Yep. Um, sorry, what was your question? Oh, oh, just, can, just can core beliefs change? Yeah. yeah, yeah. If I look, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I believe they do. And if, if if I didn't believe that, then I'd, I'd get a job in horticulture, I guess, or something. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, um, but for them to change, um, in my professional experience, one or two things need to change, or both is is ideal. One, their social circumstances need to change, so and, and needs to change well. So, if one of the young kids, you know, um, you're talking about, so I'll, I'll premise this by saying my um, my thesis is based is exploring the criminal identity development, which is so your identity is um, largely focused on the beliefs about yourself. So, if you have an identity that says I'm a I'm an offender, and um, you know I that's just what I do. I do crime because I'm a criminal. <clears throat> and then you're, uh, you uh, are able to... You, a good caseworker comes along and sets you up a good pathway into school, and that's integrated well. You make... Well, how old is this kid, though? Let's say they're 15, 16, for example. So kid. Yeah. I mean, this, this could work the same for an adult that gets a job. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, they're integrated into the workplace or the schoolyard, um, and they make pro-social friends, and they're accepted for who they are. Um, they're not defined by their history... Um, they find something they're good at, and they go, "Oh, you're you know you're a really fast runner. That's great." Um, that goes a long way to changing your core belief without ever having talked about it. So CBT happens naturally. All of a sudden, I'm starting to see myself as a decent student or as a good friend. Um, uh, and there's a there's a body of work that's really interesting. If there are any criminology nerds out there, called the desistance literature. And that's a study of why people change, and I use it. I, I, I lean on that heavily in my thesis. And peop, the big drop-off in crime is usually late twenties, early thirties for persistent offenders. Um, and 
uh, a lot of that is about changed core belief about myself. I'm too old for this. I'm a father now. Um, you know, things like that. I'm, I'm, I'm a good employee now. Employees don't do crime. Could that, look, I think we've spoken about it before, that could also have a lot to do with physiological changes as Absolutely. well. Absolutely, yeah. Because you're not as just, tough as what you used to be. No, that's right. No, no that's right. Um, and, and I don't value that. So, you know, you might be forced to change your values. Um, the other way to do it is, is more therapeutic, for lack of a better term. It's where you need to sit down with the offender and identify and, and label their criminal belief system. So it might be, you know, for, for a DV perp, it might be um, they need to be knocked into line or they get out of control or it's a, <laughs> it's a feminist conspiracy. I've heard that one before. Um, What's the, a feminist conspiracy? Domestic violence. And I mean, it's, it's difficult when you're working with offenders when they say that sort of thing and much more provocative things because if you go out and act, act, actively say you are being stupid, you've lost them. Now, because you know, by nature, the dude has to be a full tripper to say that. Sure. <laughs> That's like, a nice way of putting it. No, but he'd have to be. You know what I mean? Like, I remember reading that in the paper once. Yeah. <laughs> These people. Unbelievable. I'm sure it was quoted Fab in the <laughs> Full tripper. Fab 2017. I remember yeah. reading that. Fab yeah. et al. Et al. <laughs> 2018. That's right. He's yep. our full tripper. <laughs> um, what was I talking about? <laughs> Doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> So yeah, so you female conspiracy. Yeah, so, yeah, so you yeah. identified these really quite criminal core beliefs that lend themselves to certain behaviours or lend themselves to certain thoughts. So if you didn't think um, she deserved it, what you know, you would ask a question and start to have a conversation about hypothetically, if you weren't going to assault mum, you weren't going to assault your, your your partner, what would you think? And you work backwards and you say, oh, you you know, you might think, oh, she's having a bad day or. Um, I need to care for or something like that and then you would say what sort of beliefs would you have to have to have those thoughts so it's like a, a hypothetical walking backwards um, and, and I'm obviously doing a rush job of it now because unless you guys are interested I'm changing I'm, some, I'm, of your, I'm some of your beliefs no, 100%. <laughs> oh, I mean yeah I mean it's, it's, I, I, I'm a very kinesthetic learner and a very kinesthetic teacher so I generally take people through um, something I want to change or um to explain it so with that like how do you know that the mum might have been the point that you can leverage that off because like say for example like maybe that offender the reason why they're finding they actually hate their mum she mm. was abusive or whatever what what are some of the other catalysts that you can use to sort of go back in terms of change yeah it's and it's it's a, a, It'll be all hypothetical yeah, yeah yeah it's case by case but I, I like to use a hypothetical model Yep. Um, because it doesn't allow for yeah, but it's not like that. Okay, yep. yeah, no, it's not like that. But what if? Yep. Um, and then you've got you can you can create a, a, a little um, mock world um, that you can start to apply to different situations. Um, because often those beliefs carry on to those beliefs form behavioural habits, and so the, the the kid that's very violent at home is often very violent at school where mum isn't there. Um, mm. Do you know what I mean? So you can then apply yeah. it. Some of the kids so. I work with in juvenile justice, they're, mm. they're, um, especially when we have a centre down here at Campbelltown, um, some of the kids I've dealt with is they're prone to animal cruelty and mm. stuff like that, and that's an early determination of, well, you actually have no mm. emotional connection to mm-hmm. stuff. How does that play into the belief system? And When I get, when I get fire lighting and um, uh, animal cruelty, I'm wanting to start to think about 
um, the developmental trajectory of psychopathy and I'm wanting to um, uh, see if I can you have to be very careful um, but I want to see if I can start to work on some empathy development um, the reason you have to be very careful with that particularly with uh, very much with older offenders but with younger offenders if they're not making an emotional connection with that empathetic development then you might make them more efficient uh, can you elaborate on that Tim um, so so um, people um, people with psychopathic traits have difficulty or don't um, read emotional cues um, so they have to learn it the way we might learn to use a computer um, so if you if you teach them if you talk, like a mimic yeah like a mimic yep yeah so if you teach them um, when you do this people are afraid for example that might they might go oh afraid okay I'll take notes this is what I do to make people afraid do you know what I mean? It doesn't translate into oh, okay, I shouldn't do that I because it makes people that. afraid. It's it's a it's a it's a mechanism it's a me- for power for, for getting what you want. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. Having said that, you know, there, there. I mean, so there are a lot of psychopaths. I mean, I don't want to talk too much about psychopathy. It's not my area of expertise, but I've worked with quite a few. Um, but there are there are a lot of psychopaths that aren't in prison. In fact, you, you, would, you could you could argue mount those companies and shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, CEOs big, of big, big oil companies, companies because yeah, I don't... Sure. Yeah. President of the United States. <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I don't care whose neck I have to step on to get to the top. It doesn't really bother me that yeah. people don't like me. I don't get much of an emotional response to that. So here I go. Yeah. I'm going to make Th- some money. That's very common in the corporate world. And mm. like even as in, in management, you find that you, you, there's those particular mm. personalities that will destroy anyone. That's right. And succeed. they're not particularly bothered. And they don't break the law and they don't kill people, not because it's necessarily morally wrong yeah. it's because it's going to stop their progress mm. and this is this is you know I would, I would hope these people are few and far between um, i'm interested in the connection between because to me to jump in a ring and or an octagon and really you've said it before fab like when you're in that zone like it's it's that person wants to kill me or i'm going to kill them that's mm. the mindset so what's that line between empathy and competitiveness mm. if that's if, I, if yeah. I'm not sure if I phrase that correctly, but it's it, like I'm always interested in how mentally do I get into that ring and punch someone? Well, that's right. My, my definition of violence, and I, this is a subjective de- definition, but not my definition of violence requires malice. Uh, and I don't think sport requires malice. Sport requires a, a desire to win. And if you're winning, and if it's pugilism, then that winning means hurting them. Um, do you know what I mean? Where malice would, would mean that you're not, you're not stopping... They tap. That doesn't matter. I'm going to break this because I want to hurt them. That that to me is violence. But there are people like that that sure. compete in those yes. sports, and mm-hmm. those sports I think lend themselves much more than ping pong does to that personality. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's right. Now I'd like to think that by and large, and it might be through a process of cognitive behavioural therapy from years of doing martial arts, that that behaviour is somewhat tempered. Mm. But um, I would tend to think that the dudes yeah. that are fighting at the top end. Although they're very disciplined, although they're much cl- on a on a spectrum, would be much closer to like if they broke your arm and they wouldn't necessarily be happy about it, but they'll go have a burger after. Mm. Yeah. Well, you'll see that after a fight where they'll like, come up and thank each other and stuff like that. If you're in a brawl and you want to kill someone, you don't you know thank. No, them no, after. no, that's right. <laughs> no, that's yeah, right. but I think I think so if you like, I, I don't, drink. I don't, <laughs> I don't fight, so it's hard. Like I. And I guess for me, my position, it's very, very... Because I'm so close to it. 
and there's no way I'd fight. Like I don't like to fight, you know, nothing. But I'm so close to it. So for me, it's a real funny sort of um, paradox, would it be? Like yeah, I, I sure. don't know. Like because there's no and and say the people that are with me, like Rob and Jacob and all the other, they know that I don't fight and that I don't want to fight and that I have no interest in fighting, and I'm therefore a different total skill set. But when I see them, I know that they are not built and wired the same way that I am. Mm. And it isn't just a process of training. Because mm. I could I could probably, no, not could probably. I know I could train and have a few fights. But that's not the same as mm. you being died in the wool fighter. Like, that's not like, we've got a guy fighting now this weekend and he's fighting for Australian title and they're not making a lot of money, right? And it doesn't matter what happens, whether he gets sick tonight. Or, mm. There's no way he's pulling out of the fight. And the guy that he's fighting, there's no way that guy's pulling out of the fight. They've already gone past that level of recreational guy. Mm. So these guys, they're not wired the same. I don't know what how they're wired. I don't know. That's mm. not my area. But mm. they're not wired the same. They're not mm. like, I wouldn't be them if I just trained. Yep. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That, that's that's, that's right. the truth. Yep. But, but they wouldn't be us here either. That's right. You know what I mean? Yeah. They wouldn't be doing what we're doing. Yeah. Because mm. combat sports does get a lot of crap around, you know, like that it's violent and these people are naturally violent and all that sort of mm. stuff. Mm. Um, what's your take on, I, I mean, on I, it? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think so. I mean, if you look in prisons, there aren't too many professional athletes. Do you know what I mean? But there's a lot of violent crime. Do you know what I mean? Um, but, and that's why, that's why I... I um, so I've, I've taken kids to PCYCs to, 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 to grapple and, and to box and whatever, mainly for the discipline and the social context. It's much more for the um, pro-social modelling, uh, particularly if you've got a good coach that you can look up to and you go, oh, he doesn't offend and um, he talks to people like this. And, you know, that's much more valuable to me um, in therapy than learning how to fight. But, yeah, I mean, again, it rests on that premise that violence requires malice. Um, combat sport doesn't necessarily require malice you can be violent and be a competitive sports person but you don't have to be do you know what I mean does that make sense I think it depends on how you define violence like, yeah that's I right I guess mm. that's like to me it's, it is definitely violent in my opinion just because um, you in my opinion not in my opinion you are definitely trying to harm the other yes. dude you're trying to maim him you're trying to hurt him you're mm. trying to really like they're not they're not playing they're not playing no, no, fighting no. they are definitely mm. thing but uh i think the big difference between the like i but this is just to, to put it so i find two guys that shook hands and go we're going to get down we, you're going to maim me that's i'm right. going to maim you we, that's the agreement we're good yep uh but when we're done we're going to shake hands and then we're cool yep we're good mm. all right cool and that's what happens mm. and they fight and they're channeling that aggression and that violence into that area mm. I find it incredibly more violent and incredibly more malice-stricken mm. when I see a soccer player run up, or a fo- football player, soccer player, whatever they are, mm-hmm. <laughs> run up from behind and slide tackle a dude Absolutely. that's going to put that guy out of his career. Yes. And I'm like, and then get up and show zero that's nothing. Right. And I look at that and I think... That's violent. That's violent that's and right. that's malice. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, I can't... Even or a dude that's doing a tour de France and knocks the other dude that's off his right. bike, maybe off off, <laughs> off a mountain or something. Yeah, yeah. I find that because there's no agreement before it. No, you know, there's no. It's not a part of the sport. Yeah, I just want to. I want to. I want to screw your life up. Yeah, and I find that person much closer to a psychopath, much closer to violent, much closer to doing anything they can to achieve their goal at whatever happens to you. 
That's right. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, yeah, and, sure. and, and that's probably where, where my my thing is with that. Like, I feel like, um, yeah, fighting's violent. There's mm. no two ways about it. Like, I don't think they're not playing, but, mm. like, there's worse things out there. I'll find, I'll find a dude that goes to work every day and is in middle management, no offence, Dave, but, um, <laughs> and yeah, just, yeah. just fucks with people's lives, you know what I mean? Day in, day out, and, uh, you that's, know... It, that's far more violent to yeah, me. Yeah, to me, I want a golly in his face, yes. you know what I mean? Like, that's, I think, your lowest form of shit in the world. Um, <laughs> that just goes back to the oh. overall thing is, you know, with offenders or whatever, it's about oppression, isn't it? Like, um, whether you're a leader or you think you're, you want to an oppress or dominate yes, someone else. Yes. So whether you're a leader and it's that middle management dickhead or yep. thing, it, it's that same behaviour, that own behaviour. So how, do, how say as um, we've had to study sort of cognitive behaviour in leadership mm. and management, mm. so we're, we're the best That's leader nice. as possible. Cool. But we never really looked at this in like how, how you phrased mm. it. What some of the stuff from away from, you know, dealing with people who really are the extremes of the extremes mm. to how would someone practically use this in their daily life to achieve a better outcome for themselves yeah i would look at um you've had a bad day and you have to figure out what was the what was the uh, the catalyst what what caused that bad day it was a con- it might have been a conversation with a report that you've got um and then you can start to examine that why was that such a difficult conversation um and it might have been because that that report that subordinate that staff member came and spoke to you um quite rudely and abruptly um now you can deal with that and have a a very sort of quite a a different emotional response because you believe something different about it so if you believe that they're coming in and and they're threatening your power um and they don't respect you um and you know they they just want to they just want to see you fail in your job you're probably going to have a pretty poor emotional response if they come in and you believe that um this something different you might believe that this person has some professional development that we need to work on here they've got poor impulse control um they're upset um that's not going to do well for their career and that's what you're thinking about your emotional response is going to be very different um it's going to lead ironically if your emotional response is calm and 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 not affected you're probably going to be a much better manager but if you're taken aback by them sort of having a go at you um, you're much more likely to fight back and, and, and start an argument. No one wins an argument as soon as a conversation turns into an argument. You know. So with that, Fab, like when you're prepping a fighter or whatever, like how, like when they're going into the ring and they're like, because you, you, what's the level of mentality that you create around Rob prior to that? So he's in that mindset of like whatever it is to be in that mindset to mm. take on the world mm. um, in, in a right frame because if because Rob said it when we first interviewed him he went out and it was the wrong music and that changed mm. his psychology mm. of the fight um, I'm interested yeah like what what's it, it wasn't it wasn't so much even in that fight it wasn't so much the, the change of music the change of psychology of the yep. fight it was the fact that like because if he's in the right mindset you can you can play whatever you want. You can not play his music. You're not going to get away from him. Do you know yeah. what I mean? But it was the steps leading up to it. So we always discuss... By the time fight night comes along, like, if you've done everything else right, it doesn't matter what, what happens. You can have, like, a thousand legionnaires run through the place. It won't matter, you know? Mm. But um, what 
and it doesn't get very sexy. We don't have to have like these extremely riveting talks, but we do make sure that on the steps leading up to it, we've made all the right decisions, and that and I reaffirm those things to him. Mm. And so it might be something simple as like, you know, in the lead up to the fight, not even on day of the fight, we just we have our schedules that we go through, and we keep those schedules to the best of of, of our ability. Um, we make sure that we cross all those things off and that starts to become very calming for him. He knows that we've done right. The weight cut goes correctly. He rehydrates correctly. We have a rehydration program that he goes through and all these things start leading into into fight time. By the time he gets to that and we hit, we're hitting all of our routines, which I suppose is some sort of cognitive behavioral mm-hmm. therapy thing. Definitely cognitive behaviors. Yep, like. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're hitting all those things um, he he's on. Do you know what I mean? Mm. We might say to him a few key points that we've that, that we say to him, and that's and that's it. That's it. Like it doesn't. But but you can't. Like say for example, if you've never trained before, and then you get a, a or, or you trained a little bit, and then you get a, the best motivational speaker in the world to speak to you before the fight, and you go out and fight like a Romero, Luke Rockhold, or a Weidman, you're going to come out in a box. Yes. Do you know what I mean? The other thing we speak about a lot is like. Sometimes, and I won't name anyone or whatever, but sometimes you get fighter A will fight fighter B. And fighter B should never have taken that fight for whatever reason. Maybe fighter A got changed at the last moment. Maybe mm. fighter A didn't make weight. Maybe the two, maybe combination of the two things. Maybe um, he's flown all the way to Sweden or wherever to fight. But fighter B needs the money from that fight mm. do you get what I mean yeah. and so then he takes a fight and then he loses and then it becomes a problem and then my thing to that and this is what we deal with a year before the fight is like what were you doing with your money that a, that a fight decision became a financial decision mm. they're two separate yeah. things mm-hmm. do you get what I mean mm, like yeah. you so we make sure that financially we addressing those things because they all go together, mm. but they're separate as well, mm-hmm. you know. So, in answer yeah. to your question, like, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, like, it's not like a no, sexy no, no. answer with no, people. No, people expecting that. Like, <laughs> and then I said to him, "Come here, <laughs> Robin." We hugged, <laughs> and he cried, and I cried. Yeah. I told him about. Oh, my I want a Denzel Washington movie out of this. <laughs> yeah, man. come nah. on. <laughs> nah, it's like, and I think I get a lot of that from my mum. Is like, honestly, like, man, if you didn't do your homework, yeah, don't expect the results. That's right. <laughs> Too That's bad. Right. I'm crying, man. Yeah. I'm not writing your note. You know what I mean? Like, you had all week to do it. You know what I yeah. mean? So, we, we're very big on that. So, so, with that, like, routine and repetition, how does that impact on when you're working with violent offenders and stuff? Because, mm. it's like, do they have that? Is that. No. Um, so, uh, you know, you get particularly in. Um, uh, so, I'm at the moment, three weeks of the month, I'm based at a custodial centre, not far from here. Um, and you ha- there are um, kids that will offend to come back into custody because it's routine um, and it's relatively safe. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So they feel emotionally, they feel calmer. Uh, you know, it, it's predictable. Whereas in their lives, they might, their, their only routine might be um, juvenile justice supervision. They've got to come in twice a week and then see a. Um, a a caseworker or something so they've got three things to do a week very hard to do that when you're not at school or you're at school every other day it's all out of whack very difficult to affect long term change in a very scattered lifestyle 
itinerant almost homeless every other week was that interesting? Yeah, because yeah. yeah. I have a different motivation altogether. Like, they're, yeah, they're, they're just worried about... Because it's funny, because oh, I deal with similar clients where mm. they're worried about just having food, so they'll offend. Yeah. And within Aboriginal communities, it's funny because there's a culture that if you don't go and to jail, then you're not inducted into manhood That's at right. all. Yep. So there's another layer of that. Mm. It's mm. part of their belief system. Mm. But on top of that, it means that they're getting a meal every night, which is yep. the... When I've spoken to people, it's actually more of the driver. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. that, that comes down to like that hierarchy of you needs. Need, like yeah, if you're, yeah. Maslow, yeah. yeah, if you if you're just thinking about like food, then you know we're we're at a different level. That's right. You'll act to get food. Yeah. Food. Yeah. yeah. But that's a very different psychology psychology because that's survival than mm. someone who's just a predator. Mm. Yeah. Is, yep. I'm not sure if a predator is the right. Yeah, but I know, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> and particularly for those behavioural problems as well. Um, with with um, when I say behavioural problems, I'm talking about acting out and things aren't necessarily should be criminalised, but they're very difficult to deal with. They're certainly going to kick, get you kicked out of school. Um, they're not particular dealing with those sorts of behaviours in a, with a cognitive behavioural framework alone is almost impossible because it's not there's not a whole lot of thinking that goes on with those sorts of behaviours. Um, so, for example, a kid that has, has um, suffered trauma for the first six, seven years of his life, he's witnessed a lot of physical abuse and drug dealers coming and going, whatever, very dangerous. Hippocampus, become, the smoke detector of your brain, becomes super sensitive. Um, you know, you know, if you've ever, you know, when you put a smoke detector in the kitchen, you cook toast and yeah. it goes off. There's no fire. But the smoke detector is going off anyway. That's the same same thing that happens to you neurologically. And that's if if you've suffered trauma, if you've at, a, at what age? At developmental ages. Uh, well, at any age really. No, but it can happen to return you, war veterans. Um, but you were saying in particular at this stage, how old the development? Oh, so you know, so if your brain grows from the age of one to three. It grows from three hundred grams to about eleven hundred grams. Um, from three to 26, it only adds another 400 grams on top of that. So those first three years of development are huge, huge in terms of your, your brain development, your brain mass. Um, so if you've suffered trauma during those years, um, with good reason, your brain gets really sensitive to, to, to um, dangers. And if, you, if you're, um, let's say you've got a particularly large male worker uh, who's been assigned to you, you're a young offender, you keep stealing things, you keep getting into fights, and you have a very large worker that's, that's approaching you, you will have a certain amount of anxiety because your brain is telling you this is a dangerous situation. This looks like what used to happen. A, a much larger male would come and beat me or beat my mum or, you know. And then they're not cognitive memories. That's, that's now neurological wiring. That just happens. Um, in the same way that when we see a shark in the water, we freak out because it's dangerous. They believe that that's dangerous. It's not, but you know, there's a very a social worker. He's a you know, he's a, uh, but but that's soft. that's uh, so that's something that's happened to you between the ages of like one to three or something. And that's that particular. Yeah. So so during those early formative years, it's particularly damaging. But it can happen at any age. It can happen well, you know, into your adulthood. So when you talk about neurological wiring, so let's say it goes one to three, that could have happened. Something could have happened to you then. Then something could have happened to you three to 12 and you don't necessarily have to even be aware of it 
No, not at all. It's for, that, neuro- for that, neurological it's a pathway. Path. So if you if you grow up like which would be very prevalent in these situations, you grow up in a situation where your father's abusive, beats beats the shit out of your mum, mm. or you, your mum's abusive. Mm. So your dad beats the shit out of your mum. Your mum then beats the shit out of you, yep. or or I don't know, swears at you, or mm. the way she interacts with you is abusive, mm. and blah 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 mm-hmm, blah blah. Mm-hmm. From one to say twelve, there'd be varying stages of this neurological wiring. Uh, yeah, there would. Y- y- th- yes. Um, I'm just. I'm not trying to paraphrase. I'm just trying to understand for me. Yeah, yeah, like, sure. Um, uh, yeah, they are. They, they may or may not be significant. Those changes. So you see, you might see very similar behaviours from a um, 50-year-old uh, returned war veteran from Afghanistan than you would in, in a 20-year-old young person that suffered trauma in their development. So it's all very case by case. The reality is, we don't know. Like we know a lot about the brain, but there's a more that we don't know than we do. But what we we can say is that excessive amounts of exposure to trauma changes the shape of your brain um, in ways that it takes a long way to unchange. Do you know what I mean? Um, and that's just neurology. Now, if you, if it's very difficult to take a cognitive, purely cognitive behavioral approach to someone with the, the, where, where things, where neural pathways are hardwired because they're not aware of what they're thinking. Mm. You can say they're not dangerous and they might have an ideology that this big social worker is not dangerous but that's not what your brain says. Does that have a link to prejudice and racism and stuff like that? Because sometimes people are Possibly. naturally afraid of someone because of their skin colour. Yeah. But that's not a reflection of that individual or whatever. No, they no. could be the they could be the really nice. Of, you know, yeah, whatever. Yep. Yeah, but but I that that's dangerous. It's different. I don't know what's happening. That's strange to me. Yeah, but I think as well, some people have like an intimidate. No, but some people yeah. do have like an intimidating face, or they don't know. They don't even yeah. realise that they or, do. do you know or what I mean? or has that face been embedded in them psychologi- like psychologically to mm. be scary because they might have watched a horror movie when they were a kid right. and that scary face is in their head. So it's when they see someone with the weirdest shaped nose, that's a trigger. They, yeah, they go yeah. into... But, but there's also a thing like if you walk around doing like frowning yeah. <laughs> and shit, like that, that's saying mm. to people, I'm not, don't approach me. That's you know right, what I mean? yes. Like certainly saying that. Yeah. One yeah. of the things at the centre that I'm working at now that, we're, that I'm um, working on with youth officers is uh, making a clear distinction between being friendly but not being a friend. Um, so you need a friendly disposition, but you certainly can't be their friend. That's a, that's a different kettle of fish. That does a lot more damage than good. Um, but being friendly is body language. It's the way your face is, you know what I mean? It's the way you approach, it's the way you walk. Um, you know, are you holding a weapon or not? Not too far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Uh, just with that too, it's interesting too, because like I've gone through a lot of recruitment and stuff at the moment too and mm. naturally it's it's one of the things I've been challenged with is like being in a panel and just taking stuff neutral as it comes in and part of cognitive behaviour is when you meet someone is you're coming in with no preconceptions. Mm. That's really hard to do. Very hard. Uh, I'm, yes. Yes. Uh, it's, fu- it's funny you say that last week or the week before or something I'm, so I'm also working with assistant managers, middle management uh, people who supervise people who supervise offenders um, and that's one of the things we're working on is being aware of your own bias. Um, I don't like this particular worker because I think they're too soft. Yeah. Do you, do you know what I mean? Uh, and they might not be, but that's what I think. And so I'll manage them differently. Or they'll be more, I'll be harsher, or, you know, and, and I'm not getting the best out of them because, you know, but that needs, you know, you need a serious amount of self-awareness to be a good manager. Mm. 
and that that's all that's all CBT stuff as well. Yeah, because mm. some of the trainings I've had around that, and I've tried to teach my staff is sometimes when they're communicating with a, a fellow staff member that whether you like it or not, you've just brought in all your energy and all yeah. the stuff you felt prior to that meeting. That's right, and it's completely unrelated. So if you are angry about this other thing and you've brought that into this new conversation, you're angry. That's and that's right. what Fab was saying around, you have that angry face. So that person on the other side of the table still mm. sees you have that mm. angry face. Mm. So they're mm. going to react that way. That's right. And they've brought that into the conversation mm. that wasn't there mm. before. Mm. Yeah, exactly right. There's a, I don't use it anymore because it's inherently criminal, but <laughs> I have used it a couple of times. It was a clip out of The Godfather um, with, with clients um, who would walk into situations and try and dominate situations physically or with their body language because they need to be in control. Uh, Is that cognitively or just... Behaviourally just well. behaviorally. It was both. Okay. It was both. both. I need to be... Because there's a difference doing it consciously. I'm yes. coming here and I'm going to yes. sit up that way. Yeah. But when, it, when a conscious thought happens, so no one thinks about changing gears anymore, people that can drive manuals. Yep. When, when, a, when a behaviour happens often enough, it becomes unconscious. Um, so, you know, he'll, he'll walk into a party and feel like he has to be the man and so he will very very easily start a fight or um, provoke one so that everyone knows he's the the kingpin of the fight um, so anyway so I showed him this um, Godfather clip where there was a, a um, the, you know um, what's the, what's his name the actor uh, Al Pacino no Al Pacino um, was um, he, he offered to, to, to buy out a casino and the casino owner was oh with Al Green. Green that's it with Al yeah. Green you don't, Mo Green yeah oh, Mo, Mo Green, Green. Yeah, yeah, yeah you don't come in and talk to a man like Mo Green like that and he was getting up and he was making dropping racial slurs and he was standing up standing over him and Al Pacino's character was just flatline calms cute calms cucumber didn't make any rash decisions didn't have to stand up didn't have to throw a punch didn't have to make a threat and it was clear who was in control of that situation it wasn't the one that was trying to assert power physically it was the one who was calm and collected and could make rational decisions and that there therein um, is, is a model um, for anger management mm. uh, from a CBT perspective um, and I really wish it wasn't a, a mob lord because it's a really helpful <laughs> clip yeah. Yeah. But, but you know <laughs> yeah. that, that you obviously, are you a fan like, have you watched like all the Godfathers I'm a huge fan have you read probably, the book yes it's probably my favourite the, the book yeah. like it's, it's a crazy book mm. man it's, it's, it's pretty good mm. um, and one of the things that's interesting you know talk about like neural pathways and you talk about like cognitive behaviours and that and if you see, like Michael Corleone mm. he wasn't he was never going to be no he Godfather was, he, he was just the kid that was going to be that's it and then when you look yeah. at that and I know this is all fiction and whatnot, mm. but then you look at that and you think like how much of that is cognitive? Because, you know, when his father got shot and da-da-da-da-da, mm. and then mm. he, he kind of got forced into that life. Yes. And how much of that was like neural stuff that he would have subconsciously picked up? And the, the only difference was that instead of joining the mob, he joined the US Army. Yeah, that's right. And he got the same... Because then when you when you read the book and you see how well-structured like the, 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 the mafia was, like the, yes. with, the, with the capos and mm, all, all mm, the stuff, mm. and like you think how how... Was that cognitive or was that neural wiring? Well, you, you, your cognitions will shape your neural wiring. So a good way to um, deal with trauma is to sort of uh, make you aware of what you're thinking, but it just takes a long time and lots, a lot of um, DBT principles and relaxation and all that sort of thing. Um, but you can change the shape of your brain. It's not, it's not, it just take, it might be harder than if I was going to change my choice of coffee. I could change my choice of... Oh, I do. I've, ch I've changed my choice of coffee by um, 
a fair trade, for example. I go, oh, I don't want to drink that because, you know, that's, it tastes like oppression. So I don't drink that coffee. I like to drink the one that tastes like freedom and organic and all that sort yeah, of crap. Yeah, no, yeah. that wasn't hard for me. I just, I just, I just had to give me a little bit of evidence and change my mind because nothing's too hardwired about coffee in my head. Um, but for someone who, who does have some serious neural pathways laid down, it's much harder, you know. If all of a sudden um, uh, uh, the gears were the wrong way around, you'd be starting in fifth gear a lot because that's just that's the pathway. One is up here, and then you go to two. But if you have to do it backwards, it's like riding left-handed, for example. Mm. Mm. So, so when you talk about like, because the, the thing they're not so, so the thing I'm, I'm could you explain a little bit about the neural pathways and the cognitive development? Because I'm a little bit stuck. Like, so neural pathways would ha- uh, the, the neural pathways would get wired earlier in life, or they get wired because of cognitive stuff, or can it happen either? Or? It's easier. For a neural pathway to get laid down earlier in life um so you know if when you're hungry you um do something about that you make you cry or uh, you know as a child or um you ask mum or dad for a tub of yogurt or something and you get it you are never going to be anxious about food right and that doesn't take very long does that make sense yeah. So, but if if um, during those formative years you cry and nothing happens because you're hungry, you might become very anxious about food and about your where it's going to come from. That would that well, only takes a couple of years or less, or much less. It only take a couple of months if you train a child to do that. Um, that's a horrible thing to say. Train a child to be yeah. anxious about food, but you know what I mean. Um, where that, that would take um, um, a lot longer with an adult because they can reason that trauma out. They can go, okay, I don't have access to food. How am I going to fix this? I've got to get a better job. Or, do you... Yeah, but as a parent, like, because you get all these different things where some parents will say, um, uh, your baby's crying, don't give them the mm. bottle straight away mm. or wait till they cry and then give it later. Isn't that... Yeah, and, and, and like... yeah, that's very contentious. You know, they've, they've found... I've got four kids, um, so we've looked into this a lot. My eldest wasn't the greatest sleeper. Um, and they've found that cortisol levels remain irrespective, as so called the stress hormone, remain irrespective of whether or not a baby's been picked up or comforted and they're crying or not, sorry, whether they're crying or not. So if you let them cry out, whether they're hungry or uncomfortable or they just want to be close, um, and they stop crying, if they stop crying because you've let them cry out, the cortisol levels are really high, just as high as when they do crying. So it's not that they are calm, and relaxed they've just gone crying's not working but I'm still really worried and stressed out um, and th- you know what that makes that makes sense um, because if you you know 2,000 years ago and you're, you're you know you're left in a tent somewhere um, you need to be close to your mum or you're gonna get eaten by a wolf yep. do you know what I mean will that have a long-lasting effect like some people claim uh, possibly I think empirically it's very difficult to tell um, but yeah, quite possibly. Like I see it for when kids get more into the three-year-olds where young kids who are in foster care and stuff like that, yes. where that comes out strong. Yes. That they're, you know, you put them down and it's, they, they eat up all the food within the first couple of That's seconds right. yep. because of that. Yep. But yeah, it's just that interesting part was when when does those really stick for particular ages? Like this at a baby, mm. they just need the nurturing as opposed yep. to this. That's actually survival. That's right. Yeah, exactly. If, I, if I'm not close to mum, I'm going to get killed. 
that's anxiety provoking and rightfully so and now if you try and force that out of them I don't know you're playing with some innate qualities to the human condition I think that um, you work you work so you work with predominantly violent sex offenders uh, not necessarily violent well it depends how you consider yeah. violence yeah sure so so you and when you work with them you would be you're a counsellor for them mm-hmm. um, can you explain that role because mm. I imagine you'd get a lot of people going you're on their side yeah, yeah that <laughs> that's fucking right. their side how dare you <laughs> that's right listen you just don't get caught yeah um it, well, that's right. So, you know, it is a very, so I've done some, um, over the last year, I've, I've done some um, counselling with the NRL and it was all relatively voluntary and I found that really difficult. Um, I had to adjust a lot of my practices and figure out what, what I was going to do because it was kind of normal. Because of sex? No, no, because it, because it was normal counselling. It was just about oh. general anxiety and, 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 and some other issues. Uh, and I had to work really hard to just have a normal conversation because what my counselling, if... Um, with sex offenders is premised very differently the 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 opening conversations are things like if you disclose things to me i'm gonna have to go to police uh certain things um one of my uh clear very very clear role clarification statements is when you or if you say something really that that i think is dodgy or it's going to get you into trouble i'll pull you up on it um and and i'll and i'll go through a little bit of it we'll talk about that and essentially what i'm saying is when you say bad things i'll challenge you um and that's almost adversarial you know, so you've really got to manage that because as soon as you're an adversary, uh, um, you, you've lost them. If, if you set up a, a, a counselling arrangement with an offender where they see you as uh, um, an enemy or someone that's difficult, you, they are more likely to create more victims and, and then that becomes, really, that's my fault. Um, Can you elaborate on that? So if, 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 if an offender walks out of a session with me and they're pissed off. You know, they're really angry because I've just said to them, you know, you need to, you're, 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 you're gross. You're disgusting. Everyone hates you. You are the scum of the earth, so change, so you're not the scum of the earth anymore. They are more likely to offend because of that, the, 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 the emotional response that, that would elicit than if they left feeling like I'm making progress um, or I'm calm. Much less likely. It, it, it's ridiculous how... how low those levels of risk are compared to if they're walking out angry and powerless because um, the whole thing is they want to exert power on somebody I need to get else. that back yeah so if they're feeling powerless they're yeah gonna yeah one, one of the best movies of uh, well around this sort of thing um that i would really encourage people to, to watch is the woodsman kevin bacon and that's the only actor i know i think there's some other big names in it i don't know um but there was a, actually I was talking about this the other day, Fab. I think there was a scene in that where, uh, so the, the film's about a, a, a sex offender that's on parole, and he's at home and he's he's got a little uh, he's a, he's a carpenter and he made this little desk and he's inside he writes he, he journals and all these difficulties and whatever. Police came around to his house, an investigator and talked to him like a dirt bag, sort of really put it over him, and made him feel really small. That was the only point in t- in the movie where, or one of the most significant points in the movie where he fantasised about having sex with a, a prepubescent female. Um, and it was off the back of feeling like a little nub of a human because this cop has just come in and, and you know, done everything short of physically harming him. Um, the funniest thing is most people's reaction to, especially a sex offender of younger people, is 
kill them. Mm. Like that. Like that, that's that's like mm. that. Like most people, they say, "Oh, yep, you can do that." But for for a child, if it again, or if you imprison, what what what? So, it's it's yeah, such that, a that, weird that, thing, that, isn't that it? That comes like, down to the deterrence. Um, you know, the notion of deterrence and and vengeance, and people have got to figure out what they want. So if they want to kill them out of vengeance, all right. Uh, to me. That, okay, that's that's up to you. I can't, you know, I can't change that. I can't say. I can't ask you to forgive them or whatever. That's a different thing. If you're saying it's about deterrence, treat them bad, treat them really bad, and they won't do it again. That doesn't work. It, oh, it and just, the literature it, supports that it doesn't. Li- work. Yeah, really good um, anecdote. So, um, Victorian England, um, pickpocketing was punishable by death, and you hang right, and there were public hangings. So you pickpocket, you get hung, strung up for everyone to see. And that draws crowds at the time. That was entertaining. Um, so everyone would, would rush and watch all these pickpockets getting hung. Because it's a crowd, crowds attract pickpockets. So in these public hanging for pickpockets, there were lots of pickpockets walking around going, yoink, 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 yoink. Deterrence doesn't work. Deterrence works for people that don't need it. So deterrence works for me because I've got the nous and the, and the social resources and, and a lot to lose. If you don't, then it won't work. Um, and by and large, like, what's the prevalence in our communities? Do you think of people that are, that are offending against against? It's an unknown number. So um, is it higher though? Do you think? Yeah. Would you guess? Really high. Yeah. Huge. One um, in three females. Bigger part. One in three females, and I would I would um, the numbers for people that have been abused, um, I think, is higher for males, but it's harder for a male generally to admit it um, so I don't think as many males will come forward um, huge huge numbers to varied degrees as well and and uh, how do you pick the dude how do you pick someone that does it like what's the what's a prototypical sex offender um, for adolescents is impossible they've tried they've just found so many variables adolescent offenders adolescent offenders that it's, that it's very difficult there are some uh, there are risk factors for recidivism for, for, for doing it again that are, pretty, that are fairly reliable risk factors, but um, but those risk factors are only only switch on once they've offended. So um, so one of the risk factors for for a um, an adolescent offender, for example, would be a, a social isolation. But if you've got a socially isolated young person that hasn't sexually offended, that doesn't put them at risk of sexually offending. They're, I need a flow chart to explain that, don't I? No, I get you that. Get it? You get it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas you know. Um, for, for adults, it's, it's very different. It, um, um, you can you can you can typecast, but it's it's not nece- there's no not necessarily any physicality traits. Um, one thing I think is is um, um, quite common that I that I find very interesting is you have a lot of adult rapists who are massive guys. They're on the juice and they're walking around and uh, you see them in prisons, hugely charismatic and demand a lot of attention physically quite um, intimidating and underneath all that there's a little sort of four-year-old child very super fragile um, so you know to, to, to say that they're just to, just to say to give straight up typecast is a bit of a um, no 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 dangerous, but, you know? but I, I guess what you're saying like that, that they're the things like because uh, for us for, for I mean I don't know but for me like that that kind of stuff that you're saying there is like something that's very um it's very interesting for mm. you to say that, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I, because um, I think people always think like it's a 
creepy old guy that's mm. up the street that's thing and the guy's probably like mate you know what i've been working my whole life i don't want to talk to you oh, that's, that's exactly what it is right. you that's know right. what i mean yes exactly and it's um this guy that you might see at wherever you yeah. know what i mean that he might be I don't know, like relatively. I don't know. I don't want to. It might seem like it, so. A lot of sex offenders have got families. Do you know what I mean? And they can hold down jobs. Um, uh, completely anecdotally, this isn't speaking from literature, but I often find um, that recidivist sexual offenders struggle socially. They might be a little odd. They might say things that don't quite fit the conversation. Um, they might be socially social isolates somewhat. Um, drug use is prevalent. Uh, um. I've just I've dealt with people from domestic violence guys and abuse. They have a similar thing where mm. they're slightly off, and yep. you talk to them, it's just like, why would you even say that? Or yep. why would you withdraw at particular times? Sure. Socially inept. Yes. Like it, it, it's 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 obvious sometimes, mm. but it's not obvious in the moment mm. <laughs> until. It's become, that, clear, it's somebody, become somebody clear that someone's out. off. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think, um, like, it's almost like a two social, social, two social isolations that you're talking about. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm mm. incorrect. There's the dude that, by and large, physically, they'll do weights or they'll thing yep. and da 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 da, and they're kind of hiding at the front. That's right. And they exactly might go to a gym mm. yep the opportunity arises young girl young mm. boy mm. whatever yep um, that's one type of sexual offender yeah and another type of sexual offender would be not he's socially isolated but mm. he removes himself sure that's right from it yep yep and yep. so he's hiding exactly. behind it so this guy this other guy the first guy that I was saying he might be with a group of guys he might be but, but he's hiding in isolation mm, in a mm, different that's way. Right. Am, I, exactly. am I correct that's with that? That's spot on. That's a really good yeah. way of looking at it. The only danger is, and, I, and I'll say this because this is potentially going out to other people, those traits don't inherently make a sex offender. So no, you might no, have You might not. have the guy that's hiding at the front that does weights and he's, a, he's intimidating to talk to. You don't like talking to him. He might just be a, a douche. Yeah. He might just yeah. be fine. And you you know you might have the, the guy that's hiding at the back and he's a social isolate and whatever. He might, have, he might be autistic. He might just be a, a big gamer, you know. You might be playing. No, no, of course, but mm. but what you but these these are traits that they that they tend to have. Sure. Yep. And, yep. Um, so so I mean so one of the things I, I go through in treatment is social skill development um, that I could teach anyone really, um, but it's it's so common amongst um, people who sexually offend that it's worth knowing. Um, so I've got one client at the moment who uh, I'm working with, uh, and we're working on how to get a girlfriend. Because he's petrified, he's absolutely terrified, and he's an offender. Mm. Um, and that's so. That's what we're working on. Now, if you looked at that on a treatment plan, um, you're working on how to get a girlfriend. But he's done. He's a sex offender. You can't help him get a girlfriend. It's horrible. It's going to offend against that girl. Um, but a lot of what he was getting out of uh, out of victims, granted, he hasn't had any contact offences. Um, a lot of what he was getting out of, out of the victims were things that we, sort of similar things that we might get out of a healthy relationship. They're not, but they're, they're sort of contrived intimacy uh, uh, and things like that. Um, so how can you trump that? You work towards being really good at um, having a 
meaningful relationship. And again, I'm just asking, I don't, but that particular kid would correct me, he'd have no idea how to deal with women, so could that, am I correct with that? He had no real idea how to deal with women? Not particularly, he's had, this this one's an adult, he's 35, he's had some experience, but it's never been positive. And and would that also be coming back, going back to what we were talking about, neural pathways and cognitive behaviour and that, that, so something might have happened to him with his mum, and yep. then move forward and you know he, never never got the ball rolling mm-hmm. so to speak doesn't add a deal with his mom this particular one was um, using heroin for a long time during his formative years so you know those years when you're a teenager and you're learning how what girls do and what they like and how to talk to them he missed all that <laughs> his life was on pause because he was on the nod for a long time you know and and that's that's a horrible horrible time to be addicted to substances because there's a whole bunch of social learning that you do that you miss out on you just you don't get it and that would be the same doesn't have to be drugs so yeah sure so if you're if during yeah. that time you missed out on how to interact with the other gender or whatnot for whatever so a kid say a young boy that got abused hmm. at, at, that he may not know how to interact yeah or, 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 or what wouldn't. he thinks his interaction is is completely inappropriate um which is not, which is also a correlatory experience as well. Um, there is correlation between being. It's not. Um, it's not out now. Can happen, but if you were a victim, there are correlations of you being an offender later in life. Um, but it's not necessarily to say if you're a victim, you're going to become an offender. That's certainly not the case. Um, but it is a. It is something that needs to be addressed. Dave. Oh, my head's spinning. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> my head's spinning. There's just so much to sort of reflect and think on. I, uh, I have a question. Then you know, you go you go to a party or something, and like we've spoken about this before. And I mean, you probably say you do something else. I don't know, but you go to a party, and somebody asks you what you do, and ultimately you end up talking to people, and then it comes out that you are a violent, like you are therapist for violent sex offenders. Mm. Do you get a lot of controversy surrounding that where people uh, might be shocked and disgusted? You know, do? you know, I learned that lesson the hard way, and, and I, I still really regret it to this day. Um, when I first started in the field, it was something that was a status thing. It was something I knew it was edgy, and and this is this is many years ago. Um, and I was out, and someone asked me what I do, and I said I'm a, uh, I'm a I work for juvenile justice and for the sex offender program, and we talked a bit about that, uh, and, and this, and he became very withdrawn and left. Um, without saying goodbye or anything and, and I found that his brother had recently suicided successfully um, after being abused um, sexually um, and I was just very insensitive to that and I didn't know I didn't even bother to ask so um, now I approach that very differently um, and I should have known I should have known that for a lot you know given that such high, high rates of, of sexual abuse um, because people think, oh, you're on their side or whatever. Um, um, so now when I get asked, I just usually say um, I'm a social worker by trade or um, uh, I work for uni or juvenile justice and then see, and then get a bit of a feel for it and trickle in what I do if the conversation is headed that way. Because just to put it out, like, so, so the nature of your work How's it go? Like a violent sex, a violent or non? Or how do you how you how are you a non-violent sex offender? Sure, yeah. you know what I mean. But you're you're a sex offender. You come in and you speak. They speak to you, and your job 
is not to go, you're all right, buddy. No. Go back out, you know, whatever. Absolutely not. Like, w- w- yeah, so, so just to, to clarify say, what it is yeah, that you do. My job is to say, this is what I think. These are, these are significant problems um, that we need to get fixed. Otherwise, you're at risk of things happening in the future. Um, these are the things that we need to work on. It's not necessarily... And there needs to be buy-in from the client to agree to work on those. Otherwise, it, it's, very, it's very difficult. Um, it, yeah, it's a very different... To, to walk into one of my sessions and then to walk into sort of a um, like a, um, a therapy a session. therapy session is a very different experience, um, and it needs to be. So, with the people you work with, are they incarcerated or are they? Yes, uh, sometimes not necessarily. Not necessarily. So, what's your objective then for the ones who like there's they're incarcerated and the ones that are out? What they're two very different. No, I'm not. Uh, well, the the only added thing that I want to do if they're incarcerated is prepare them for life in the community well, as well as possible. If zero or, or poor transition planning is done from custody to community, you can even if they are, you can assume that they are as high risk as possible. So you need to set that up really well. You need to get the family in, the support people in, and and, and talk about it. And you know, I won't bore you with details, but there needs to be a lot of work done. Um, when they're in the community, I am overarching, if I'm going to give it a statement. Uh, I would say I want to reduce their risk of reoffending by promoting a good life, a pro-social life. Yeah, I think that's pretty robust. Yep. Mm. So with this, like, I don't know, there's a register or a sec- what, what, what does that play in your role? Mm, so there's some, yeah. There's- We're talking about sex offender registry? Yeah. Mm. So that's run by police um, with the premise of monitoring predatory sex offenders. The way that that's um, assessed is is um, based on the offences. So if they've got a certain type of events or a certain number of a certain other type of offences, they have to go on this registry. Um, and then they give the police the emails, phone numbers, Facebook address, et cetera, et cetera, and police will come and drop in on them every now and then. Uh, I've got a friend and colleague in America who does a lot of research around this, and she's found that there's no reduction in reoffending rates because of the sex offender registry. It doesn't actually do anything in terms of stopping people getting hurt. What it does do, what they have found, is that it harms the perpetrators. So if I was going to have a conversation with someone about the sex offender registries across the world, and... Um, you know, so in America, sometimes you have to, if you move in, you have to go door to door to all your neighbours and tell them you're a registered sex offender. That doesn't do anything but harm the offender. Now, if you, if I'm talking to someone about it and they say, I want to see these people harmed because they've harmed others, I want retribution, I can't argue with that. Yeah, it's a different conversation. It's a different conversation. If you start to tell me that it's to keep the community safer, then we'll have, I'll go toe to toe because it doesn't, it doesn't make anything safer. If anything, and I'm just, I'm not. You know, I'm barely allowed to work here, but you know, and hardly do my job. So, um, but if anything, would it not just push that person further into isolation? You could, yeah, you could absolutely. Would it not make him a more efficient sex offender in yep. the sense that it's going yes. to push him further and further? It's, you could, you could very easily. They look for more vulnerable mm, victims. That's right. You could mount an argument to say that that's making them more dangerous. What's the actual figures on that? Oh, not not necessarily not necessarily on that in specifically, but on the on the reasons as to why it doesn't work. What, what, what do you mean? You said that 
if if um, somebody said to you it's to keep the community safe and you say I'll go toe to toe with them, oh the the, the number the recidivism rates are pretty stagnant. We're in, in jurisdictions where you've got it or where it's you know really strict or where it doesn't exist at all, <laughs> sex offending rates are it's the same. Um, pre and post adjudication, it's not it, it, that doesn't change anything. If it did, it'd be fine. You know, <laughs> I go okay, do it. That's cool. It's it's making the community safer. Um, but it doesn't. It doesn't what, actually reduce the rates. So what, like, what happens? Like, what can you do instead of, or as well as the sex offender registry? Oh, the treatment mandated treatment. So you need to go to treatment, or you go back to prison, or something. You know, it's not. This isn't a voluntary op thing. You need to do it um, because the, there is a lot of um, treatment modalities that work, and they reduce recidivism. So it does. Yeah, there, yeah. there are things that. Yep. that like what? So, uh, adolescents, for example, multi-systemic therapy is really effective. So that's that's a, a form of treatment where family are involved and you, um, you're looking at systems and building relationships and other things. Um, but that yields really good results. Um, CBT, even just um, regular CBT. Even, <laughs> interesting um, piece of research read a little while ago, if, if a parole officer has a good relationship with their client and by a good relationship I don't mean a friendship I mean a clear therapeutic alliance and they don't do anything that's particularly useful those clients reoffend less purely because they've got a model that they respect and they learn how to operate socially just by those conversations so there's a lot of stuff that works um, the, the, the difficulties in my field um, is public opinion. So if we wanted to build a rocket, if we wanted to go to the moon, we're not going to go, we're not going to talk about it on talkback radio and, and say, you know, we should be using hydrogen as a fuel and, and, and the spaceship should be made of titanium and whatever. That just doesn't happen. We leave that to the experts. When we get sex offenders, the public becomes a driving force in, in decisions being made. Now, if that was the same with rocket scientists, our rockets wouldn't go very far. Um, so we're really behind the eight ball in, in, in implementation of what we know to work um, because it often looks soft. You know, we need the registry, otherwise we're being soft on crime. And if you're soft on crime, that'll make, you know, be a lawless society. But it, if you have mandated treatment, mm. I think, I think that you would have to be registered to do the mandated treatment. Well, yeah, you, you, you not? The court, the court tells you to go to, go to treatment. If you don't go to treatment, the, the treater will tell the court and the court says, issue a warrant for his arrest or something. So, so you're still being registered? By the court, but it's not, it's not a... No, no, I understand. Uh, but yeah. what, I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is like when, if you're saying the sex offender registry doesn't work and somebody says, well, then you're being soft, mm. right? But what you're saying is not, we'll let them go out and do whatever. You're no. saying, no, no, you still have to go to mandated yeah. um, Stuff treatment. Stuff happen. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is. And that's a form of registry. Uh, yeah. Did the difference is the police... So, so the, the sex offender registry is about monitoring. So the police know who you are. The public knows who you are. Um, you know, they, they monitor your Facebook account. They, and, you know, all, that, all that monitoring sort of stuff that parole officers can do, really. Um, that, that the police wouldn't have um, control of that. Can I go and look if there's a sex offender down the road or something? In New South Wales, um, well, possibly, I'm not sure how the, the adult registry works. Um, 
If you ask police, they'd tell you. I would assume it's not. And you can look at court records, that's all. The only place where you'd have difficulty in finding information out is in children's courts, which are closed courts. But sometimes children's courts get bumped up to district court and sometimes that gets... But by and large, just from the conversation we're having... I could tell, I could look up right now and I could, on my phone, and tell you who's listed for what offences now. At Campbelltown Court. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But by and large, aside from what you just said then, mm. the vast majority... Like, it's very prevalent in our communities. Mm. Um, and so we would know who's registered, but we would not know who's not registered. Mm. And that we... You would, That's right. You would... Like, the, the people that are more efficient would be not registered. Absolutely. It's and like police checks for Uber drivers. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it filters out the ones that have already got criminal record, but not the ones that are going to become... And and then there's there's, like... And, and I've seen this like just in the nature of the work that I do like um, I want to be careful here not to incriminate yourself no, <laughs> no 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 the nature of the work that I do where I see people and like I've seen other coaches and I've seen teachers in, in certain cases mm. where there's no proof mm. of it for me but I just look at them and I do the maths and there's been a couple of um situations recently mm. where where that's happened with people that 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 I kind of know and whatnot yeah and um, that the the girl would probably go out let, let's say as a guy and a girl the girl would probably go out on a limit like not even go out on a limit the girl would say no no it wasn't because I was A, B, C and D mm. right like I was I looked older mm. or mm. or um, he was my teacher but mm. um I looked older or he was my teacher and I saw him at a club or mm, mm. I don't know whatever there's been a few cases like this that, that over the years I've run into and I think like if you're a grown ass man and you should know and you slept with a 15 year old girl that's right That that's not like and you're out there you're, you're still out mm. in the community doing that mm. you know what I mean like you're not and that guy hasn't been charged mm. or I don't know if he's been charged but I'm mm. saying and it's not like that guy like I'm talking about a particular person mm. like unfortunately like I've seen this scenario play mm. out many many times mm. and I've heard the conversations that the girl might have or whatever she's no I'm 15 or yep, and yep. I, I looked older or yeah, I was yeah, 14 yeah. but sure. I looked older and da 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 and then you that speaks to me of a, of a pretty invested level of manipulation from the offender if that's the sort of rhetoric that the because a 15 year old girl isn't probably isn't going to come out of that on her own she's very likely to have been groomed you look old oh you look so oh I thought you were 20 yeah oh wow Let's go out anyway because you look twenty. You know, that you know, and and t to me, look, I don't know when I when I see that in the community, well, I think like how prevalent that must be mm. because these people are not like that. That's that that was normalised. Mm. Do you get what I mean? Mm -hmm. That that sort of thing was 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 normalised. A person comes to term comes to terms with it if yep. uh, if, if they have or if yep, they haven't. Sure. Um, sometimes they have kids. To them, sometimes yep. or whatever, yep. you know yep. what yep. I mean. Yep. And you just look at it and you just think, like, how 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 much does this happen? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then looking at it and going, oh, there's a registry and da, da 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 da, and that must catch like, what's a percentage? Tiny. Yeah. It must be a really really small percentage of people of that are the, on the registry right. that are compared to 
the actual harm that's caused. Yeah. Yeah, right. Which is why I'm... And it's legally very tricky and it's something that I'm um, mulling over with my um, professional peer vision group is I'm, I'm, I have this growing passion for treating undetected sex vendors. People who haven't been... They're not going to go before the court because who wants to go to jail? But they want to change. Um, where do these people go? They have to be caught or keep offending to be caught to change, to help, to get help. Um that's a growing interest of mine um the tricky part is if they make disclosures that this one time i i did this to this person i have to tell someone i have to take that to the authorities um which really is not great for the therapeutic process to 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 promote change so how do we do that and i don't know i haven't got the answers for that but um there are there is a there is a uh, an australian based uh, out of sydney i think um and i don't yet know what i feel about how i feel about this but i uh, um i might be able to tell you in a month or two but um there is a group uh, started by a um a young guy in his early 20s who identified as a non-offending pedophile he had he had attraction he felt attracted to to young children and he didn't like it and he wanted to ch- he went and saw a psychologist the psychologist wigged out didn't know what to do because uh, it is a very niche field um psychologist went wigged out and told people and whatever but he hadn't done it he hadn't broken any laws he just expressed that he's got an attraction to um, children so what does he do he's, he's got nowhere to go um to change so he started this support group um of other non-offending pedophiles it was online i think there's a blog for it uh, uh, um, a podcast for it um hugely controversial obviously um, but there are very strict um, very strict guidelines about who can enter so you need to be attracted to children but think it's horribly wrong and never offend otherwise if you think it's okay they'll boot you, you're gone you can't come into the group because there is a chance that you'll infect it and start to sway the opinions of others but you know that that's a that's an area that I'm have this growing passion for um, not just for the offender but also for the potential victims um, because we won't know until a victim's created too late. And and then if... Yeah, because what do you do with those people? Because, you know, people will pour petrol over the whole group and light them up, just, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but then, like, at the same time, there's going to be another... Battle. Look, as a society, for whatever reason, we are vomiting these people out. Do you right. know what I mean? And... Um, Ethic, there's some ethical considerations there. What do you do? You do? If someone, see, you know, that's the thing. If, you, if we have a policy, this, the petrol lighting policy, find the people that admit to be. No one's going to admit no to it. No one's going to admit to it, but they're going to offend. I can yeah. tell you that. Deterrence doesn't work. So they'll offend. So, so you know, ethics aside, even from an economic rationalist point of view, the only solution that I can see at the moment is to offer uh, a safe space for help. So, what happens if someone now legally goes, listen, I'm attracted to children or, or, or really young boys or girls. Mm. Well, like going by the definition you said earlier, and, and then, but, but, but I haven't offended, mm. but I want help. Do whatever you want. Help me before I offend. What, what happens with that person? That's, 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 that's exactly my area. That's what I want to do. And legally, I'm still trying to figure that out. But I, I, there's nothing to report. You know, um, you, there's a big difference between what you think about and what you do. Um, everyone's had that violent thought in the car. Yeah, but there's a difference. There, there is, is a difference. difference. There, there is, is a difference between wanting to push your boss down the stairs <laughs> and, like, harming a child. You yes, know what I mean? sure, sure. Like, 
Yeah, that's right. The premise is still the same, though, in that in in, in the difference of um, the, the difference between thought and action. Um, so it's probably a lot more dangerous for someone that's that's uh, wants to have a, a sexual relationship with a child, if you could call it a relationship, um, than just pushing your boss down the stairs. Um, but the, the, the premise is the same. That you, just because you're thinking something, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to act. Um, but if you keep thinking it, you know, every day that you keep thinking about it and fantasizing about it and you start to plan, you say, oh, maybe I could do that. Maybe I could get, I'll, I'll just look online. I'll just, I'll just look at porn. I'll but, just look at child porn. But you could go to a psychologist and say, let's say, for, you know, use the terms interchangeably, mm. I could go to you and say, hey, Tim, I want to push my boss down the stairs, man, mm. and I have these violent thoughts. And I could, I'd be fine. One, I'd be fine going to you. Mm. I wouldn't, I would, I wouldn't attach a stigma to mm. it. Like I'd be like, my boss is a fuckwit. What do you want? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And um, we could probably get through that. Yes. And I, I wouldn't. Even if I was to get charged, mm. I would not carry the stigma. No way. Do you know what I mean? Like, if anything, in some circles, you'll you'll get a badge of honour. Oh, there'd probably be a nas- day of national observance yeah. for me. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Depending on who the boss was. But um, you, there's no way that that would happen with someone that has... No, no. Because if somebody were to say, even in a group, like, I know for me, for example, someone if I was in a group and someone was to say, hey, listen, Fab, X, Y, and Z, yeah. I, I'd be like, man, you, you need some help or yes yes that's right I don't know like I don't know what I'd say mm. that's yeah. Yeah, it's a very hard conversation it's not one that happens often so so what do you do yeah what do you do there's no systems at the moment to, to there's no but that, that, that's like all of that like mental health a couple of years ago was something we spoke about yeah so until people feel comfortable talking about it in a way that you're saying in a safe environment mm. how are we ever going to that's right heal from that like that's mental right. health like Mm. It was mental health was wasn't even spoken. Yeah, that's like right. Yeah, exactly right. Ago. Yep, yep, yep. That's right. And now is that? And then you got to ask the question: Is that something you want people to be readily disclosing? And there's all sorts of other discussions that that, that you know. Come, do we want do we want um, attraction to children to be normalised mm. the way that say depression? But again, it's so different. So different. Like so they different. really are. Like, absolutely. Like because I think like depression as a, as a mental illness is absolutely has to come to the forefront. Sure. That's right. I th- I think stuff like that, like the, with a non, if you want to call it non offending pedophiles, I think mm. that we we have to have a way of accessing that mm. because you can't leave it until no. the dude is. You can't leave it to ripen. Nah. But I don't know how to deal with that. Mm. I don't know. I don't know what to think. But I know that. Like, like you but say, you, you can't could just say that. Like before, mental health was the cause of mass shootings. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, the argument—you know—I don't think they're too much different because mm. you could probably say that someone who has these fantasies about children is severely got severe mental health. They're issues. not doing well. Yeah, yeah sure. um, but that's a very different conversation around depression and anxiety around mm. reducing your urges that's because right. people have the same urges to kill. Mm. Who do they talk to? As mm. well, I, I want to. Yeah, yeah, but you could still talk. Like if if it's about if you wanted to kill your boss, you could still go Mm. and talk, and you would not suffer the same stigma. Mm. I I think you could probably go and say you want to shoot up the whole TAFE, and you still wouldn't suffer the same stigma that you would 
and, and I'm not saying rightfully or wrongfully, mm. but mm. You, you just wouldn't. Mm. Do you know what I mean? You're much more likely to be referred to an anger management group, or yeah, yeah. you know, like you, mm. you, you, but but or the NRA or something. Yeah, <laughs> the NRA. Um, but yeah, you'd, you'd be, but you would be much more likely to 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 not suffer the same that's consequences. Right. Am I oh, correct? Yeah. That's that? right. Or yes, absolutely. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. No, no, no. Uh, but it's, it's, mm. it's a social moral thing, yeah. ultimately. Yeah? Like yep. when we go back to the first thing we ever spoke about, like was about the belief structure. Mm. And that's our core belief as societies. Yeah. You don't... You, you don't yeah. have sex with children. And rightfully so. I think that's a true belief. Objectively, I think that should be considered true. There is, you know, there is no greater harm than... Yeah. Sex with a child. But the funniest part is there's also the same belief is you don't kill someone. Yes, that's right. Why are they so, right. so, so dealt different yeah, publicly? Yeah, yeah. Taboo. Um, the, possibly the, the long-lasting harm. The fact that you can... Um, violence can be justified, I think, a lot easier. Um, and I think most people have had thoughts of some level of violence. Mm. Mm. And so you're able to, to relate to some sort of violence. Yes. Not everyone has had thoughts about... No. You know. 100% no. Mm. Do you mm. know what I mean? And that, that's, mm. that, that I think is hard. Like, I do think that, that somebody that has those tendencies at the very least is extremely different to most people yes now whether and and what what do you think tim is like is it how much is that nature versus nurture i was having this discussion with someone yesterday Mm. actually like um how much of that is nature versus and i know it's such a broad thing you'd be like well some of them are nature yeah yeah that's right but but how much of it can be nature versus nurture in terms of becoming Uh, a somebody that 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 offends versus a child not necessarily has sex with them but offends against them yeah yeah, I don't know. Um, that's that's a really interesting question. There are developmental trajectories that are observable, um, but sometimes they're not present. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I would I would tend to say that a lot more of it is um, the way that external forces are perceived. So in terms, so that exactly is nature and nurture. Um, so if I think that. Uh, and it, again, this is the cognitive behavioural therapist to me coming out. But if I think or I make myself believe that sex with a child isn't harming them, um, then that, that's, you kind of got the green light. So there's, there's you know, you, you don't need to be all that predatory, or you don't need high levels of testosterone, or you don't need a, you know. A, you just have to say. You just have to believe. It's okay. That, that doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I'm not harming them. Yeah. They'll, they'll, that. That's right. They're not saying no. They're not kicking and screaming. They're just fine. They're just being compliant so that's okay um i think the other the other reason i find it difficult to answer those sorts of questions is because looking at um but i think that's a big thing what you just said then what's that just that what you just said then is like i don't know just because like you'd have to like put that in your head mm. that it's okay mm. as long as he or she didn't say no there was there was a and you, know, you know what i mean like yeah. you have to be on some other shit to, there was a you have to uh, be a full tripper that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> right um uh, a couple of years ago there was a, i think it was a four corners report of a of an english guy who uh reported to be a non-offending pedophile didn't call himself that um but he was advocating for the legal age of consent consent to be dropped down to four four years of age what oh no i remember this guy yeah, yeah, yeah fucking yeah. nut job <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
And his argument was that you can sit a four-year-old on your lap and talk it out. Um, you know. See, there's everything in me there wants to go, you know what, we have to do the... But I want a soccer kick him. <laughs> I want a soccer kick him with my shin on his head. Like, yeah, hopefully he's not like a tough dude because I won't be able to do it, but... Fuck. You know, he wasn't I remember that guy. Do you remember that? Do you remember yeah. that talk? Fuck, yeah. be dead. Yeah, and I think the interviewer did really well to control himself and get some conversation out of that because that, for most people, that would just be a shutdown. I do not want to talk to this person. I'm going to hurt him. So who was it that said it? I remember, the, I remember this conversation. I can't remember his name now. Um, there was a movement. I think he tried to publish a book. Oh, fuck, I remember it. Mm. I remember it clearly. Mm. 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 Um, and, and the... the, the the rationale was that you're not necessarily doing harm to the children. It can be it can be an intimate, close experience <sighs> that the child's going to remember forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, on that, you mm. were saying, oh, I remember having a conversation with you, and you're saying like, if you've been offended against when you're eight, and then that messes up your development. So, you know, this guy's talking about, by and large, I, I believe offending with a four-year-old. Mm. You know, so can you explain to us what we were talking about before with the brain development? If you were offended, if you were offended on, like if you if you were the recipient of the of sexual yeah. abuse, if you it happened at six or eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, sixteen, eighteen, and how that affects your actual chronological age? Uh, it's difficult to say because it affects. It doesn't. It's not global, so it might affect. Um, it, you know, it may affect your sense of self worth. Um, and your ability to interpret social cues, but it might not ab- affect your academic ability. Right. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So it's it's kind of difficult to say, and it's. Can also, you elaborate on even what you said then? Because that that's that that that's you might be you might you might be offended against as a as a as a seven or eight year old and think that um, and, and believe that the only way that you can get love and acceptance is to have sex with someone. So that's it's a really n- normal, for lack of a better term, part of your life, and it's affected, and you're stunted. Your your, your relational uh, capacities is really skewed. But you might be really good at maths. Do you know what I mean? So it's not a global, not necessarily. It can be, but not necessarily. No, but, uh, the um, fact that it's not global to me is more is more real because yeah, that, sure. that that's very prevalent. Mm. Like I, I'd, I'd imagine that that would happen a lot. Like. That would happen, and then the person has those thoughts, mm. but they're still very good at basketball. Mm. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like it's that's not right. That doesn't necessarily mean they're a happy basketballer. Do you no. know what I mean? Um, but they might be good at it, and they might have been able to excel hugely if they weren't offended, uh, offended against if they weren't a victim or a survivor, depending on your perspective. Um, yeah, so it's very, it's very difficult to, to pin down, and, and certainly from my um, disciplinary background, I, I tend not to. Um, pin things down so scientifically because I think the human condition is far more complex than science allows us to study it. I think we did pretty well, but um, overall, if we start getting too prescriptive, I think we can lose people. How good is uh, services that we have at the moment for both the perpetrator and the victim or slash survivor Mm. of it? Like the services where, yeah. so, so like we, we've touched mm. on, on the thing with the offenders mm. and I guess not really on the victims. Mm. How good are you, if, how, how well, like, yeah. In terms of victim services, I, I understand they're quite good. Um, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you. And I do have to be careful in what I say because I am employed by the Department of Justice for the, for the other side of the question. Um, I will say that 
public funding for sexual offender treatment isn't popular. You know what I mean? Um, if you're going to put money into a children's hospital versus offender treatment, you put it in the hospital. I get that. <laughs> I, can, I can understand that. Um, so that, that <coughs> kind of does limit um, what we do with them. Um, and I will also say that there isn't a great deal of niche treatment um, providers available. There's a list on the Kids Guardian website it's got a whole bunch of names and that's statewide and it's oh there's probably 40 people on it statewide um, compared to say the, the thousands of GPs we've got for example so if you're talking about how good they are when they are there they're quite good they're you know when you get to that level of specialization you're not you're, you're good um, um, but there's just not many it's probably not enough mm. I've found it with people I've worked with, um, more women experience domestic violence, mm. which is you know, slightly a bit off that, mm. but I have trouble putting them into emergency like housing or yep. relief and stuff like that too. So that's an interesting thing too. Like, So with the mm. kids, do they go into foster care or what happens with these kids who have been... Because obviously there must be... A, are the parents seen as being neglected? Uh, it's all, it, yeah, that's all case by case. You know, you have... Um, so I've only worked with two or three female offenders and they're all soliciting type offences. They weren't directly causing the harm. Um, so um, often with sex offenders who are considered co-offenders and when they're male and female, um, the female will be a mum or a stepmum and they might be essentially providing access for the offender. Now, if you were going to put all of those three into, into the one place, that might be considered really risky for the kids. So you probably wouldn't do that. Any fax worker would be onto that pretty quickly, and say the kids have to go over here, mum, you have to go over here, and the day, generally the parents are in prison by that stage, um, or on bail at least. Um, yeah, it's really case by case, um, and that, that that is really up to the quality of the person making the decisions, usually from fax or jurt. Mm. Oh, yeah, but just in government funding around this area, it's interesting too, like, as you said, like, well, this is popular, but this is not. Yeah. But emergency accommodation and support oh, it's, it's always going to be slim. It doesn't make money, so why give it money? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's it's not, it's non-profit. The, the, people are, the people that are accessing those services don't have much of a voice. So I'm, I'm, just to, to illustrate that point, apparently at uni I'm known as a bit of a hard marker. I didn't know that <laughs> until I got told by students. I said, stop crying. No, <laughs> no. Um, and uh, you know, and I, and I kind of didn't make any apologies for that because the the cohort that we're going to be working with don't have the nous, they don't have the access to social resources to go. You know what? You're not very good. I'm going to go find someone else because mm. a they might not, someone else might not exist, and b they might not have the the, the the power to be able to do that. If I was teaching finance, I'd probably be a real easy marker because. You know, if you are, you know, if, if I'm training up accountants, um, anyone, most people that access an accountant can go, you are a garbage accountant. Can you go know, to another one. I'm going to go to another one. That's and there's right. heaps of them. They're all over the place. Same as lawyers. Yep, all that. You're just, you're fired. I'm going to get a different one. Now, if I let a student pass through a sort of substandard student pass that probably should have failed with some dodgy skills, they're going to end up with someone really vulnerable who doesn't have the power to go, you're crap, I'm going to go find another one. Um, so that's now my fault. Do you know what I mean? So, um, 
the funding is slim and I would like to see the quality of the people that work in my field improved continuously um, because the funding's never going to be good. But it doesn't matter how rich the country is, it's never going to, it's, you know, it's never going to get a significant amount of uh, the pie. Funny thing, like we run a lot of programs like uh, deploying community services mm. and all those sort of stuff. Mm. It's funny, the people that attract themselves to those courses are previously mm. from that background. Yes. So they think that they can give back, but realistically have a lot of people don't actually deal with the stuff we mm. originally spoke about, which is your beliefs and your trauma and all mm. that other stuff. So are they the best people to provide advice? I've seen the best and the worst ex... So I used to run a... a I used to work a lot with people that were um, long-term users of cannabis as well, and I've seen the best and the worst treatment providers with a history themselves. Um, and the worst is because... I know how it is. You need to do this. I was the same. Yeah. As soon as you say I was the same, you're not listening. <laughs> oh, you're not you're just, the same. You're an idiot. Yeah, yeah stop it. That, that was a bit harsh, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Just to stop it. But that's that's the premise that they walk in at. I've lived this experience. Now I can give back because my experience has taught me. Your experience has taught you what it's like for you. And that's cool. That's good. And I dig that. And I'd like to. You've hear got that a little story. bit of perspective. And yeah. 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 You've got some perspective. You've got some perspective. Even if you've got that perspective of the social pressures of drug users, for example. That, that your client might not experience those pressures in the same way that you do. So you can't assume anything, but it, you know, it can be very difficult to, to take off your own, uh, to, to, to empathize when you've got such a huge experience yourself. I'm always really, um, really, I really wanna have, if I was gonna hire someone and they disclosed a history themselves, I certainly wouldn't write them off, but I'd wanna have a longer conversation about themselves and how they've come through and how that might affect their work and uh, whatever because um, I think they can be awesome but their, their experience doesn't make them awesome in fact it can make them a lot worse mm. um, no it just you know when you, it's funny when you says that like it's the same thing with like coaching and teaching and that yeah. mm. and, and it's the same thing like you, yeah. you, you think like I'm cool. a good fighter that doesn't make you a good coach. Yeah, or they say, mm. you know, I went to the Olympics and I'm like, cool, did you keep the jacket? Because like, that's <laughs> like what, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I would keep the jacket. That doesn't mean shit right now, you know, because like, um, you, you know, Justin Lang was here the other day when he was doing the podcast and, and that's what he was saying. He was going like, that's all good. You're a great football player. Mm. But now you're coaching and you're day one of coaching. Mm. And I think it's the same kind of thing yep. as like, you were doing A, B, C, and D, mm. and now today's day one of that's right of this being new, a therapist. That's right. These people are not you. No, you know, no, no, and, no. and you you got to understand that. Um, yeah, no, I yeah, I'm, I'm anything from you, Dave? No, I, I think I spoke more <laughs> on this one. That's been great for me personally. I think I learnt a lot about myself. That's, I'm not sure that's a good thing or not. <laughs> yeah, probably not. I might need to have another couple of hours with you after this and debrief. No, but I think I think with a lot of conversations I've had with Tim over the years is um, just when when we talk about stuff like internal rules, uh, mm. you know, uh, another thing that we spoke about a lot and that I apply in my coaching is the stuff like uh, within a monologue that people have like a self-talk and, yeah, and things yeah, like sure. that. They're, they're things that, that and, and this thing now that we've started talking about like, make, makes a lot of sense along the, around the like neural pathways and how and when they were formed. Mm. And I watch 
it's funny, man, because there's some guys, and I work in a weight division sport, right? Mm. I work in a weight division sport, and there are some people, and people go, it's a discipline, and it's a blah, 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 and I think, thank you, I'll be sure to read the literature that you wrote, <laughs> you know, during, in between recess and lunch. Um, because I, I think, like, now when you start to put these things in perspective, I see, like, heaps of dudes struggle. And I, I'm talking yeah. about top-end athletes yes. with the weight cut. Mm. They struggle with eating. Mm. And then you talk about, like, stuff that anxiety surrounding eating and whatnot that would have happened. But a lot of kids, mm. a lot, some of these kids grew up r- real poor. Mm. And, um, you know, people go, like, take the taco out of your mouth, you know yeah. what I mean, yeah. or whatever. And yep. I think that, although that, that information was very insightful and mm. that advice I'm sure is going to go a long way, mm. um, and I look at it, sometimes it's not my guy, and I'm looking at it, mm. and, I'm, and I'm thinking, this guy's got, okay, and it's obvious yes. that this guy has a problem. That's right. He's not lazy. He's not mm. undisciplined. You need something to, else going yeah, on. You need to mm. understand. Mm. We need to get to the bottom of mm. that. And I see, it with, mm. I see it with some of my guys, like, there's certain things, certain triggers that they have, mm. um, th- and they're all very different. Yep. They're all very different. Some of them, they have no problems putting the fork down. Yes. Others go, I love eating. But I've got no problem putting the fork down. Yeah. And I know others... If I don't eat, I feel terrible. Yeah, or, or like, I think, like, you taking the food off them really fucks with them. Yeah, Like, sure. really, really, yeah. really... It's not even like they're hungry. Mm. It's like, um, I don't I don't like this, you mm. know what I mean? I don't like what you're doing. Or, the growling dog. Yeah, or, or they don't want to... Um, they don't want to follow a particular diet. Yep. They'll do, and, and I, again, this is the problem with, I think, half-truths. People come in and go, you know, you should follow this diet. And I think, like, you don't understand, like, what's going on here. There's there's a whole bunch That's of other right. things. This guy does not want to follow this. This come to a point in his life where he earns enough money where nobody <laughs> is going to ever tell him again yes. that he has to go to bed at a certain time, mm-hmm. that he has to... Um, eat certain foods no one's ever going to tell him that again mm. so mm. you have to come at him in a different way because if right. you come at him and go look you know and he's not a loser and he's not undisciplined it's just there's that's something with food a good, a good way to think about that is um, they call it the, the iceberg model of behaviour where you see excessive eating for example and that's all you see but there's a whole iceberg underneath that and that iceberg talks to the function of that behaviour so what what, what what purpose does eating serve for this person? For some, it's purely sustenance. Yeah. For others, it's enjoyable and it's social and whatever. For others, it might be... Um, control. Control, yep, which is a big one. And, and I think we were, you were talking about like the, the modality of addiction mm. being that it could be sex, food, whatever, violence, TV, computers, Something whatever. that makes you feel yeah. better, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. And the food, the food could be that could modality. Be that. Yep. But, but if you don't know and all you, you're operating on is what you can see, this is the tip of the iceberg, then you're not going to change it. At w- a best case scenario, you're going to have an argument. Um, and it's just not going to change. You know, a, a lot of those conversations that I've had with Tim over, over the years, they, they help a lot with, um, with how my approach to coaching is. And, I guess and your sexual offending too. <laughs> oh, no, 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 This is going to be there forever now. No, um, yeah, no, no. But uh, for sure, the, the those conversations in, in mm. relation to just how the mind works and the mm. neural pathways and that. When I, when I think about that now, when you when you're saying and you start to look at people and their and their the traits that they have and the, mm. the relationship between their cognitive approach to things and the the neural mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the neural pathways that that they have, and you just 
start to you know put things a little bit more in, in perspective I suppose mm. Mm. Dave no, same I've only we're coming up to two hours now oh is it yeah <laughs> but I think that that's the nature of this conversation I think we could talk about it forever mm. because there's mm. so much and like I think we just scratched parts of not even what you've been studying it for yeah, years yeah. like we haven't yeah. even I feel like I could anything. do a PhD. Yeah, <laughs> but that's me. Honours? Can you just pass him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll be fine. I'll get up here. I'm never going back to uni ever again. I was so bad at it. Um, yeah, no, that's that's it. Hey, Tim, thank you very much. We know thank you're you. super busy, but I do understand it. That, um, and you mentioned earlier that you have some private practices and mm. whatnot. That you, can you tell us where people can find you and what you yep. do, etc.? Yep. So um, uh, I work with. Uh, well, a growing number of adults with um, with a history of sexual offending, but also um, adolescents and young people with sexualized behavioural problems from 12 on. Uh, under that is, I would not assume to be my area of expertise, so I'll refer on. Um, and I do a lot of family work. Um, it's not the sort of industry that, you, that sort of is, is a big plug, but um, uh, at the moment I'm found on LinkedIn. I'm wrestling whether or not to, 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 to make a website. Um, just given the nature of the, the, the work that I do. Um, but how, get, mm. Sorry to interrupt you in the middle of your thing, but... I don't I was, know how to plug myself anyway. <laughs> well, no, but I, I am going to I am gonna kind of give you a plug for that because I think, like, it is a growing... Not a growing... It is, it, it's, it's a prevalent problem in our That's community. Right, yes. And, um, and sexualized behavioral problems mm. and whatnot... Um, are rampant they yeah, are like yep, yep. everybody would more or less know someone one removed mm-hmm. and I think they do need people like you to we need people like you to mm. be able to ascertain what sure. what has to happen yeah. like we I don't know what to do it's like I it's have a, a visceral area. response yeah. yes which is absolute disgust mm. but I, I that that's not gonna deter people on a larger scale no or fix the ones that are already there. Yeah, sure. it's not going to yeah, do anything. Right. Even if you were able to exercise your your visceral reaction, mm, mm. it's still not fixing the situation. No, that's no, a lot harder than that, a lot longer. The other thing that I'm particularly I want to get into and I'm particularly passionate about is um, healthy sexual development for adolescents, particularly with pornography being so easily accessible. Um, we've all got phones right now. We could all sneak off to the toilet for five minutes and make a phone call anyway um, I don't want to talk about that <laughs> so you know and I've, and I've got a program um, written that I've taken a lot of um, adolescent males through um, that's been really successful that I want to try and get into schools um, I've trialled it at one school down past Wollongong with a lot of success um, that would be a, that would be a good plug that's a lot of early intervention stuff particularly for the non-recidivist sexual offenders who cause harm they're never going to offend again but they've done some damage um, I think if we, we embed a healthy, proper version, particularly of um, masculine sexuality, I think that'd be really helpful. Um, but at the moment, sex ed at school is kind of limited to put this in there and stuff comes out and you have a baby or you get AIDS and make a mess. You know, it's it's kind of biology, biology at best, fear-based biology. Um, the stuff that I take kids through. You know, that, that, that just very quickly, that the... the, the program that I trialled in that school past Wollongong um, had the in one of the groups had as a group full of there were about 14 15 whatever year that is year um, nine year 10 yeah about that age. yep yep all on the edge of the seat the head teacher for PE started talking like like giggling and talking to one of the students next to her and that was 
what's, what's happening? Where am I? Um, and then I stro- started using words like sex and orgasm and cum and all these sorts of other terms that I need to talk about. Uh, and she went all red face and left. <laughs> so, you know, and then this is, this is the person that's supposed to be the educator on, on this sort of stuff. I, I did um, health science PDHP oh, yeah, at yes. university. Yeah. And um, I, I realised when, when, when those subjects came, well, we had this teacher, oh, it doesn't matter, she was a fruitcake. But anyways, <laughs> but I realised like that, that subject, Yes. It, like I knew that me, mm. I, I was not, in no. a position to That's teach right. it exactly like i understand the biology behind it mm. but the the psychology and i was thinking you're teaching this to kids that are 14 15 years old yeah like you need to this has to be taught by not 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 by me <laughs> do you know what <laughs> yeah, i mean like right. not exactly by me right. and yes. i and i probably wasn't like the least thing in, in terms of like the psychology behind yeah, it because yeah, I yeah. at least knew that I couldn't do it yes whereas there was a lot of people that were like no I did it it was the, 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 14 week course or whatever right. that we did <laughs> yes and, and, that's right and I think it's it, it isn't being taught at schools correctly no I don't think and, so and you know what I also think that certain having people like you in there uh, could, could identify behaviours with, oh, within yeah, sure. kids yes within kids that are potential victims mm. or are being victimized mm. or within kids that that could be potential perpetrators yeah yeah, yeah for sure that's and, right and some of those tells are not even that difficult to see like with yeah. a 14 15 year old kid yep yep they're aggressive they go and get what they want through force that should scream alarm bells mm. yeah mm. all right Tim, thank you so much. Thank we know you. you're so, so busy. And good. thank you for coming fantastic. in and talking to us. Dave, Eloy, as always, you guys are fantastic. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Bye-bye.